0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at political underscore beats. You can also find the show on Facebook as well. Subscribe to the feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher for another week or so. <laughs> Tune in or nationalreview.com. Uh, click on podcast at nationalreview.com. Find us and all the other fine NR podcasts there. We We're also- gonna have to update that, aren't we? Stitcher. Stitcher's going away in a week. I know. I really care
1: about this. I I switched everything to Stitcher like because I subscribe to Video Archives, the Quentin Tarantino podcast. And I like I don't I want to know what happens with that. I love that podcast.
2: Yeah, it has real fans. Uh, Well, whatever. Anyway.
1: Sorry to interrupt, Scott.
2: That's all right. Rare time to interrupt you. Keep
0: going. Uh, Patreon is where... Uh, Patreon's not going away. Patreon.com slash beats. Go there, support the show, help it stay ad-free as it is right now. We have entry-level for support and voting privileges and a few bonuses. Mid-level for early access to all our shows and at a higher audio quality. And then our upper-level bestest friends, early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content episodes, remastered shows, playlists, and more... Join us at patreon.com slash politicalbeats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you?
2: I was faced with a choice at a difficult age. Should I write and podcast or should I take to the stage? But in the back of my head, I heard distant feet. Bill Buckley and Neil Tennant to a disco beat.
0: Jeff. On uh, Twitter, at esoteric cd. More on that couplet to come. Our guest on today's program is a founding reporter at Semaphore. He covers the 2024 campaign, writes the Americana newsletter. He's on Twitter, at Dave Weigel. He's Dave Weigel. Dave, thanks for coming back on the show with us.
1: It's good to be back. And yes, the Americana description makes it sound like I'd be bad for discussing a British band. But I will point out, one, <laughs> that Pet Shop Boys technically recorded their first music in New York. And I became a fan because I lived in England for three years when they were kind of on the decline. But but I I have so much I've I've got. Well, we'll get into this like a skewed version of when they were relevant, because in the UK, they never stopped being relevant. Right,
0: right. Tell us a little bit about Semaphore, if you please, and what people can expect if they uh, subscribe to the Americana newsletter.
1: Yeah, it's a new, I guess, is still fair to say it was founded in October uh, I was the Washington Post for seven years and joined this as one of the first reporters because I, I want to try something new. We're starting from the ground up. We have a, a style of publishing stories that people made fun of, but I've seen people rip off, which is nice. Although, I mean, actually, <laughs> give some credit for starting this. But, you know, we, we break the story down from the part that is just the factual information at the top. Here's the news. Here's, like, the, the scoop you need to know if you're, like, running out the door. And then we put in other analysis, other quotes, other, other uh, insight, different opinions in th- different sections. Uh, I write uh, the newsletters out two, twice a week, uh, usually around three thousand words, with like a reported story at the top, and here's everything that happened in the campaigns in the last uh, seventy-two hours, which is kind of what I did at the Post, um, a lot of what I do at the Post. But but it's it's just like a different style of writing. I actually ha- I've had the most fun with that because. There is an inverted pyramid, classic newspaper style that I think I got pretty good at, uh, and this is different. This is this is kind of I wouldn't say I was getting bored at all before, but it, it's nice to swerve really hard yeah. in direction, much like Neil Tennant did, you know. <laughs> like, but <laughs> it's, it's nice to like try something new when what, what you're doing without like, completely abandoning and going into PR or the law or something scary like that. Not much yeah. else has changed. My music tastes have gone way more into the, into what I call the jazz hole except I still love synthesizer pop and Pet Shop Boys is kind of, I mean, this happens with the Canon every, every year, all the time. I mean, you, you'll see like Rolling Stone or Pitchfork update their list of best music. And I really think that the more I listen to eighties pop um, and I, and discover like what lasted, what was good, uh, Pet Shop Boys just remained the most consistent of all these, of all these eighties bands. like no album that is truly bad. So still love these guys, even <laughs> if my tastes overall have been kind of, Getting more esoteric and noise music. stand head and shoulders above a lot of the synthesizer pop that they came up with in the 80s they stayed very good and relevant i would say up until right today this year uh and lyrically i think just they're one of the best most memorable innovative bands in terms of just putting a song together creating a character in a song being witty and memorable coming up with just I, i was never a big lyrics person but with the pet shop boys i feel like i appreciate what they do and the characters they write—they're just—they're—it's they're, a cliche, I guess, talk about st- short stories <laughs> in music or po- or poetry. Uh, but I think Neil, Neil Tennant of all the pop songwriters is the best at telling short stories in a format in electronic pop. Where you know, no no disrespect to New Order, a band that I'm sure we'll never talk about again in this podcast. um It's a lot better than the, you know the. Uh, Uh, You look like a pig. You should be in a zoo. (laughs) Bernard (laughs) Sumner style of lyric writing. Neil Tennant's just a brilliant writer.
2: I'm trying to think of like, like my, my my least favorite New Order lyrics, and they do, they come from that low life era. Like you don't you don't want to listen yeah. too hard to what the perfect gifts is actually about. And and that to <laughs> me that to me actually is a great comparison to start with, Dave, and because to me always the touchstone is New Order. And and I, where did I come into sort of synth pop, dance pop, especially UK this kind of, you know, electronica synth pop that, that created later on House and what we know as sort of the modern dance aesthetic. Where did it start? It started with New Order, and New Order was the band that I got into first. And what I realized is that New Order was a band I'd not heard on the radio, but I'd heard Pet Shop Boys all my life. I'd actually, and then I've, you know, somewhere around the 90s, I bought their Greatest Hits album, the the one that's called Discography, and it's great. It's basically just all their singles from, like, you know, beginning to like the early 90s and uh it's not a bad way to start and these songs were songs that i had known because you will hear them on the radio and yet i hadn't known too well to ever get tired of and yet had always sort of flown by my ears as candy floss as the the radio pop that 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 just sort of nestled its way there in between a lot of miles and madonna and (laughs) you you remember a lot of miles black velvet Black velvet. Yeah. I think of like like MTV one off hits and things like that. Yeah, Pet Shop Boys show up there. They didn't mean anything to me back then. They mean so much to me now because I understand them in the terms of like both both of like where they came from, and like what they meant to their fans because. When I finally got into this band, and I would say, I don't know, in the 2000s, I really have only really learned to reappreciate once we booked the show, is how um, well they're basically uh, the guys from. Um, it's Jack Black and John Cusack made good. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even, I, I hate mentioning High Fidelity on this show because it's still a movie I've never seen, but it's music nerds become musicians. Uh, music critic well, Neil Tennant was a music critic.
1: He was. He was at Smash Hits. Uh, you know, he, uh, yeah. The, the the sort of uh, I don't know. How you compare it to uh, kind of the Rolling, not uh, even Rolling Stone. Like the, it's, the no, new it's more cream. I think I think the yeah, cream. cream. Lester Bangs
2: cream. You know that kind of a, mm-hmm. kind of a, a little rebel to the side. It's definitely not Enemy, which is like you the enemy. It's the industry, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Smash Hits, which is sort of Rolling Stone-ish. and then you have these guys who are sort of like punkish, uh, and and what was you know what was. You know Neil Tennant's "Real Love." It it was synth pop. It was the kind of stuff that Ultravox and uh, early Human League and of course Joy Division was beginning to get into. Echo and the Bunnymen, uh, New Order, of course. You know, out of the wreckage of Joy Division, uh, and they met Chris Lowe. I believe the story is they met him at a record shop, right? Uh, and it, it was uh, the the classic meet cute. Uh, and they uh, said that, "What do you like?" I like this. And you know, these guys are bed sit. Bed sit room musos. They're nerds like me. They have the same kind of impulses and thoughts as me. They have the same kind of limitations, frankly, as a musician as me. Okay, uh, Neil <laughs> Tennant has a really nice kind of weedy, choiry sing-song voice. Right, he still retains it to this day, which is so charming. Even now that he's old and bald and he has white, graying temples, he still sings like Neil Tennant. Can't play instruments either. So what do they do? They get synthesizers, they get beat boxes they get programming, they get machines, and they work with what they can do to create music within their own aesthetic, which is informed by uh, a weird kind of an unmodulated and unmoored, like late uh or early 80s and you know, Thatcher era, let's call it British world. And 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 this is the sort of music that, you know, New Order, you know, Dave reference. Lyrics mm-hmm. of New Order were never something you would ever you would want to uh, listen to too carefully. But you give them credit because they were the pioneers. They got there first and they built the ground upon which all of the other flowers sprung up. But when you go to Neil Tennant's lyrics and and you just start from step one from the first album, you are encountering a a unique voice, a voice of a person who is, frankly, your college roommate, if not you. And that speaks to a certain kind of person and personality. I'm not going to lie, though. It speaks to me. And that's why I've loved the Pet Shop Boys for a really long time. Scott?
0: I don't want to spend too long because it would be a lie to say I gave much thought to Pet Shop Boys before we recorded. I, I, I knew uh, the, the singles that hit the charts in America, and I knew them by reputation. Uh, Jeff alluded to, you know, uh, you guys both alluded to the fact that Neil Tennant was a music critic. And so I like that backstory of a music critic uh, becoming. Insanely successful, especially in the UK and also in in the US, and sort of the ethos that a critic brings to a band like Pet Shop Boys. But it should be no surprise. I think to people who are longtime listeners of the show to know that this is not my lane. Uh, I'm not necessarily. You know, you
2: know the big the, the guy whose favorite band is the Black Crows isn't also ha- have Pet Shop Boys down as their number two?
0: Not necessarily. No, this this uh, synth no. pop genre it's not where I it's not where I make my living. But I I will say when West End Girls was released, which would have been what '86. I do remember seeing that video on MTV and hearing the song and thinking that's different and I kind of like it and then it was kind of uh, scary because these are not guys that play drums and guitars and and bass. They use synthesizers and sequencers and drum machines and that was not at all the kind of music I was listening to at that point. And as I said, I still recall going through and hearing the singles that made it big over here in the US, but I I didn't necessarily go deeper into what what they did on the album side or any deeper than what was being played on, on, on the radio. This is a band that I think because of the background creates music that appeals to people on a, almost a primal sense because of the way that the, the, the drum machines come together, the beats are put together and they're critics and they know music. They really know music. These songs very easily get stuck in your head. It's one of uh, Jeff and I have talked about this, how I listen to music. I haven't heard before for this show. I try to listen at least two, three times yes. to each, right? And so I, I think Pet Shop Boys is one of the bands that most quickly
2: they were just, I was thinking this as you were doing it, Scott. It was designed for Scott's three-listen principle. <laughs> I actually had that thought. I was yeah. like, I, it will sink in at the because, end of those third right, by
0: the third time, every song on the first album, you tell me the title, I can hum the chorus, right? I can hum the melody. Very quickly, these songs become a part of your musical vocabulary. And I think that's a testament to the songwriting and also a testament to the fact that because they studied music and listen to so much music they they knew how this was supposed to work to dave's early point there's not uh, there's not low lights along the way Uh, i'll make a comparison later i'm going to save it for now but you know even as the albums go on past the the peak phase there's still a lot of stuff to like 15 years 20 years into what's been a very long and very successful career
2: Only two people to keep in the fold, right? (laughs) Because there's no pet shop boy, right? (laughs) It's just you and him. As long as you guys are still alive and still friends, you can do it. But you know, I I have to say the the thing that you discuss, and I know exactly what it is that that might set you uh, adrift when it comes to this band, is that this the rhythmic formality it's all programmed yeah there is no, there's there's yeah. no live there ain't no live drummer on a single one of the songs that you're going to be listening to on this show folks because this is a band that exists in the world of programming and they've sprung up in it and you know in the club scene you need the steady beat you need the groove you're dancing so you're not going to have prog rock here Which is, by the way, of course, the other thing that Dave and I were here for back in King Crimson. Right. And you're not going to have like, you know, or blues or like, you know, hardcore, like sweaty kind of jazz or anything like that. You have a rhythmic 4-4 beat for the most part, you know. So this actually in some ways I would argue the Pet Shop Boys explore the creative boundaries of what a man – can do in four four (laughs) without ever altering a a, a prince actually we made this argument with prince because prince was a one-man band he had that similar limitation because he insisted on doing everything himself for the most of the time like all of his songs didn't similarly had only one groove they weren't they weren't genesis or, or even you know fleetwood mac for that matter uh so that's the pet shop boys aesthetic but man i'm telling you this is this is music that I love, and then every time I hear it, I feel better, and I'm like literally almost envious, have been envious of the hours uh, in prep for this because I want to go back and listen to my favorite song. So why don't we just start with the most, basically, their most famous song. It was their only United States number one hit single, I believe. Their first hit, uh, probably their most famous hit. I know it, frankly, as uh, Inner City Pressure by Flight of the Concords. Uh, does anybody remember that TV show?
0: Uh, with, with... I, yes, but I don't remember that particular. Oh,
2: well, well, we might have to even drop a clip in here just first before we get to uh, West End Girls, because you're going to see that that's a parody of this song, but this song is actually a parody of something else. West End Girls. What I think Dave, you might even know this better than I do, but I they this is Neil and Chris go, I believe they recorded first in New York. Uh Chris is like on a trip or Neil, they one of them is on a trip.
1: They're interviewing somebody to like for a magazine bid. You know, Neil's Dave, interviewing Sting. Sting. Neil has an interview with Sting, yeah. And then he he meets up with Bobby Orlando, the producer when he's in yeah. New York. Like double yeah. dipping the trip, which I've I've not done that to make an album, but I'm simply while well, I'm in town, let me talk to somebody else.
2: Yeah, you know what? Like, listen, if if you're gonna do it, do it for that, right? Do it for your big bid, big bid for fame, because he actually made an impression on this guy. He sent them their demos, demos that they've been they've been recording since 1981, but this is 1984 or five when this is happening, and. Um, That first song, which is their first single, it gets re-recorded for the album. I don't know. People debate. Does it really matter what the difference is? I think the album cut is the best. But West End Girls is just a fascinating song. It was so singular. The minute it hit to hear this white guy rapping in this very British voice uh, to this really compulsive little hook... Uh, and about a culture in America this, that The miracle is not that this went to number one In the United Kingdom The miracle is that this went to number one In the United States Where nobody knows what East End boys And West End girls are But we do now just because of this one song So what do you guys think of this Which kicks off the beginning of their career
1: Boys are, are in this very rarefied company of bands that had a one hit that people know nothing that ever t- ever reached that height again. But they're not a one hit wonder band. I mean, they they're like a five singles per album band, all of which are usually really good. Uh, this is their most gimmicky song, though. This is this is one that they wrote because it was hip hop was charting, hip hop was popular. They thought it was interesting. I mean, they were right. Uh, the, the this is not what most Pet Shop Boys songs sound like. Uh you, you hear Neil Tennant does he does a lot of you know, uh, the German term I think is Sp- song you know, like <laughs> you, you have a thin voice and you're kind of talking through your lyrics more than than tying them to a melody. Yeah. Um uh, so the, it's a little different what they usually do. Uh it's like if I have it was like right if I and we'll get into this, like what are your favorite Pinchot boys songs? I'm not sure if it's in my top twenty. <laughs> I think but partly because of the familiarity, because I've heard it so much. Um but it it is it is it, it, it is more of a novelty song than i think uh the person who just, just has heard of this band appreciates they probably think i mean uh, the, you mentioned the fly of the concords thing i think stylistically it's 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 very important so the video for for west end girls which again if you're you a know, certain age you saw that all the time right uh, that sets up their their dynamic which never changes which is neil tennant is singing he is talking he's i would not say peacocking but you know it, it, they have a video and he's and anything's happening it's usually him doing it and Chris Lowe is in the background doing nothing. Chris Lowe is the guy who is on the keyboard. He's uh, coming up with these beats. He sings on a couple songs over the course of the career. Again, sings meaning mean, mean almost nothing. I think these guys have like half an octave between them. Um, but, but this but establishes the, of the look. Establishes,
2: that was. He establishes also the DJ aesthetic, which is like the guy in the background, just like I'm doing the keyboards yeah. or doing the groove, and it translated to like the guy spinning the discs later, who is mm-hmm. the same Chris Lowe vibe. Chris Lowe invented but, every man. guy wearing a hoodie and and a hat and sunglasses in a club in New York for the next 25 years. <laughs>
1: but one one thing this does do that I think I like, and I and also you hear throughout their career. Is there is a very soft, uh, lilting instrumental synthesizer uh, melody here? It's the you know the opening, but the with the the crowd vocals being mixed in, and then come there comes there comes a beat. There comes this in this case this kind of this this, this bass synthesizer, synthesizer part, uh, and they do that a lot. Uh, I feel like they get they actually do it better in later songs. But of course, you know, this is none of those songs are number one hits. Like there is something <laughs> special about the way that they that they go from that cloudy melody in the beginning to like that that is like, that is iconic. That is like unforgettable, that is in your brain as soon as you hear it forever. They love doing that. And they're you're a lot especially uh they try over the course of the career, I wouldn't say they try to recreate that, um, but they love guiding you in with almost an overture, a synthesizer overture, and then there comes just a really simple hook. Uh it's good that the lyrics, though. I mentioned how much I love Dil Tan's lyrics. You know, these are kind of silly. <laughs> these are yeah. like interesting. They're memorable, it's like just uh, character sketches about you, people you see at clubs. You know, yeah. You want a harder soft option? Like it, it, they're all. They're, the thing is, he does like nail five or six lines that are completely iconic. Some and and have literary references. So he he starts doing that as soon as this this again. This is their debut. First thing most people hear about them. He's got a Lennon reference uh, from Lake Geneva to the Finland Station, which is not something you're hearing if you're listening to... Let's not pick on New Order. If you're listening to Depeche (laughs) Mode, you're not really hearing that yet. Uh, He's got... uh, Yeah, I mentioned Hard or Soft Option. Music uh, for the masses
2: did not include a Lennon reference. No,
1: definitely not. Uh, You know... Too many shadows, whispering voices, faces on posters. Too many choices. It, it, it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful lyric with a few things just words that have not been put exactly in that order before by other people, and then a couple that have. Like he's very and I think one as we talked about some of our other favorite songs. I, li- I like he, there's a way to have a literary reference that makes no uh, that makes no sense. um uh, That just sounds good and shows that you read a book. Uh, I think this is more in that zone <laughs> than some of the other references will do throughout his career. But I love that. I mean all. A lot of the elements of the band are here, and they're in a really perfect form. I think they actually do, and I just said it's perfect. I don't even think they improve on it, but it's a great song. you got a glass or a heart stone. Just you wait till I get you along. We've got no future,
3: we've got no past. Here today, built to last in every city and every city.
2: We've got a massive truth bomb to drop on both of y'all that i've held back for intentionally for a while so before i get into it do you have any thoughts
0: on this particular song yes um what dave mentioned is is really important and i tried to find the right way to describe it and so the way i did in my notes was that, that the beginning of the song the build-up when you just have the the hi hat and that thump before the hook begins the dum bum bump. i love the way that 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 hi hat and, and the thump just sort of—I I call it—it it just melts into the hook, right? It just, it just becomes this other thing. That's a really mm-hmm. special part of that song, and I—I I, I think it's held up really well. Heck, it's almost forty years old at this point. Goodness gracious! Um, and it doesn't necessarily sound of that time. Um, it's still played very often, and uh, as Dave said, it, it's not representative completely of the band but it is in a way because it's the song that most people know from Pet Shop Boys.
2: Okay, so here's my big ass truth bomb. So, Neil Tennant, being a music critic, was also the often target of jealous music critics who were like, Why does that guy to beca- get to become a famous rock star? And I didn't. So, uh, I think on the next album, one of his songs, It's a Sin, was accused of being plagiarized by some guy called Jonathan King, whose uh, other acclaimed to fame, Dave might know this guy. Uh, I feel yeah, yeah. Well, also the guy who discovered Genesis, right? Oh. <laughs> you know, yeah. He has two claim, two other claims <laughs> of fame: Discovery well, so, Genesis and penophilia. <laughs> and also, also he had like like a randomly like a number one or like a top ten single in like nine. Everybody's, everyone's gone. Everyone's to the gone, the gone to the moon, yeah. right? So, but here's yeah, yeah. the here's the joke: that was a BS claim. You know what? Isn't a BS claim? "Western Girls" is totally stolen. The hook of "Western Girls" is totally stolen from a song that I'm. I didn't look this up on purpose because I just want to know if anyone else has spotted it. Is it? <laughs> anyone else here happen to be a huge fan of the cure none
1: Uh, dave you're not a big i like i like the cure but i couldn't spot the reference
2: okay so uh, japanese whispers you're a cure back when robert smith was basically reduced to a synth pop duo with lol tallhurst it very tellingly there's a b-side of the song let's go to bed one of their big synth pop singles it's called just one kiss which is exactly that chorus for just one kiss, it is West End Girls. It, <laughs> I play the clips, buddy. They are exactly identical. The first one was 1982. West End Girls is 1985. I uh, would be shocked if a music critic who's paying attention to the synth pop scene was not aware of an obscure Cure B side that came out uh, finally on the American compilation album Japanese Whispers. Oh. That's the West End girl story to me. And it's also kind of why you have to appreciate uh, where the Pet Shop Boys aesthetic comes from. These guys are magpies. And that's what makes them so fascinating to me. It isn't just that they write great melodies and, and good music and, and fantastic tenant's lyrics are fantastic on their own. It's that they have that critical love for the past. These guys in, throughout the rest of their career, starting immediately, are always looking backwards. They are not like uh, – they're not iconoclasts. They're not mm-hmm. punks. Uh, they love Dusty Springfield. They love Elvis Presley. They're going to do like funny covers of you too that are actually like deeply sincere. That's going to be the, the Pet Shop Boys thing. It's ironic and yet sincere. You can love it. And you can also appreciate the fact that they're repurposing old cultural artifacts, just like they did with that cure song. And that brings us, I guess, to the first album, which is uh th- this, by the way, every Pet Shop Boys album now it has one word titles why i think it was it started as a joke well once where habits have now become vices right it's <laughs> okay <So, yeah>, seneca, <laughs> seneca would have said they started with please and then just like shit, now all these things are gonna be um you know uh one word titles but the debut album is please and i, I just this is just a magnificent way to start a career. The first half of this album is unimpeachable Mm -hmm, to me. It's mm -hmm. like single after banger after single after banger and like it's just one long ecstasy high. I don't know what you guys think of this, but this is like uh, as assured uh, a statement as you could ever hope for from any group in the 80s. Yeah,
0: you know, as as I look around a little bit, looked around a little bit in terms of uh, critical response to Pet Shop Boys and what's their best. I rarely saw, I mean, people like Please, but uh, I rarely saw it as among, mentioned among their best. It's really good. And especially for a first album, what else could you ask for as, as an artist? You, you You have instant success. Number one hit on both sides, um, a, a big fan base. And as Jeff sort of mentioned, you sort of have this musical uh, template on which you're going to base a large portion of the rest of your career, right? And that all is here on Please. Jeff's right too. I think the, the first half is unimpeachable. The second half is a little, I don't want to say shaky is not the right word, but the first half is is superior. One of the first times or one of the times that Pet Shop Boys came back on my radar do uh, you guys remember the Allstate commercial from like what two years ago? Yeah, making lots opportunities of, money off of that one. <laughs> I heard that commercial, I saw that, that commercial, commercial and oh, opportunities. No, it opportunities. opportunities. Yeah, and 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 like mm-hmm. that sounds like Pet Shop Boys, and I didn't know them well enough to say with certainty. So I looked it up, and certainly it was. That song got banged into my head for weeks on end because it played during the NCAA tournament, uh, basketball tournament. So it was on constantly. And you know, is,
2: the irony is that they never, in a million years, would have had the temerity to sell that song in the eighties. <laughs> because even though it's called "Let's Make Lots of Money," but like, what was it twenty twenty nineteen or whatever when they did it?
0: Like at that point,
2: who cares? Right. <laughs> it's just. Mm-hmm.
0: That's big lots of money. <laughs> that's onside one. That's uh, a great industrial rhythm that, uh, that, that, that powers that song. Oh, there's lots of do Love Comes Quickly is the first time the tempo sort of slows. Uh, it's a wonderful kind of s- subtly nervy track, but also is, is is soothing in a way. And it's a great chorus. Low creates this really detailed groove that everything goes on. And um, uh, Andy McKay from Roxy Music into playing saxophone on this song, too which is an, a neat uh, a neat a, be- a
2: very obvious and intentional hat set because the aesthetic yes. is so clearly indebted to that yeah. very rocksy.
0: Yes. Um the second side uh Violence. I like Violence a lot. I I have mm-hmm. to say something though because I'm I'm not uh as I said it's not my it's not my genre. But there's an effect on or, or one of the uh synthesizers or sequencers on Violence and I hate to say it's anything but it I call it the Fat Boys effect. You guys remember the Fat Boys? <laughs> yes. Okay.
1: yes. I, do. So I remember the Fat Boys, not the effect. So
0: there's is that um is the <laughs> it's Ah oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I am probably not doing it just right. But my mind says, Oh, that's a Fat Boys song. And uh it's the one thing that ruins violence for me because the rest of the song is really, really good. Tonight, right near the end of the album, Jeff said there's nothing here that's not that's drums or guitars, but there is this very simple piano, yeah. piano, yeah. synth, and, and vocal. And it's so striking that on an album full of synthesized dance tunes, for the most part, um, although with a pop sensibility, that they pop this one out near the end. And they do something like this on the debut because it does show that they're capable of the curveball of, yeah. of creating music like this and it's a highlight of the back half of the album as i said this is uh, as i listened through the first one i listened to it's their debut album and after the second time i heard it all these songs were stuck mega hooks all over the place mm-hmm. uh it might not be their best but what a debut from pet shop boys if
1: uh, yeah, and especially that for the first half it does have this this never situation where the first half is just nonstop hits. Uh, yeah, I think all the, I think all the singles actually uh, all, they're, they're remixed, and, and you'll probably get into this. They they're they're a great remix band. They're a great not just remix, but slightly alternate version. Uh, they, so uh, the song Suburbia, uh, one, I mean it's it's rich with references. It's uh, I'm convinced and i was arguing on a message board i think like 30 years ago that the reference to the dogs tonight is to penelope's Virus's movie suburbia uh, yes. which is a theme it is it is about punks in in the la suburbs Do, it, there is a pack packs of dogs there are dog effects on the, on the record um this is a good Dave, of Dave, song. Dave, I, you know i i, I yeah. promised i wouldn't interrupt you but you son of a bitch you <laughs> stole it out of my notes Oh no.
2: That is clearly a I, reference to that, isn't it? Okay, sorry, sorry. All right, keep
1: going. But there. that's just there's a. This is what like what kind not just like a literate band, but what kind of literate band they are because they've yes. got. Uh, they we have a basically like Rush Revolution, Edmund Wilson reference in the West End Girls. Then we have a Penelope Spheres reference. Uh, it, music in that mu- movie, and maybe you to save argonauts now. That's a, that's a movie about kind of uh, that takes the soundtrack from like the the last wave of the L.A. punk scene, not like this <laughs> band at all. So just it really says just how omnivorous Tennant is how much he's drinking in that he's spitting back out into these songs. Great song. Uh, I love um, "Why Don't We Live Together" uh, and "Tonight Is Forever" are both a bit more blunt than they they get later on, especially this early Bobby Orlando uh, production era of the Pet Shop Boys. Very shiny, very blatant, gigantic hooks. Um, and, uh, again, things you sometimes have to go to their B-sides for. I mean, well, later, later in a career, uh, they'll have a song on a record that is good and has a bunch of hooks in it, and then you'll listen to the remix, and they added three or four different synthesizer hooks that are that this like were too much for the album version. Um, they're just on here. I mean, like, why don't they live together? It's just, like, one hook and then another one and then another one. And a pretty and – a, and a, like, a, a, a fun, silly, romantic lyric – Ah, uh, not a hit, but I've seen them break that out live a few times. Uh, the last first time I saw them perform it, they had da- the dancers on who they just recostume for everything were dressed as um, as apartment buildings, <laughs> just like high kicking with apartment building costumes on. Um, they they really love being literal about <laughs> what they're talking about. There is there's some there there are they're It's a very middle class band, and not in a bad way. in In the UK, that has all sorts of connotations. But they never tried to be like uh, we're from the streets we're punks so we had a heart up, we had a heart up record ring. it's like nah we're guys in our 30s who will reveal later to everybody are gay you can probably, probably guess and here are the things we're concerned with um, even like later tonight like it has a not even super veiled reference you know he's, he's the head boy of your school of dresses like the mod of invention uh, they have references there that if you have any um, familiarity with like British public schools you kind of get so I'm proud.
3: a school of thought that plays in your intentions night and day and you wait till later till later tonight you wait till later till later till later tonight
1: um, but yeah, it, this is kind of like if they had, if he, if Tenen had just said, "Well, I'm done. This was fun. I'm going to go back to run smash hits," and this is the only record they put out. I think it would still be a classic record. I think they improve on it, but it's very good. There's nothing on the record I don't like. Violence is like I don't find myself replaying it a ton. Um, but they figured out what they're good at immediately. I mean,
2: uh, just to you know finish up before we move on, I I, I think this record is these early records to me are well sequenced in a way that makes them complete experiences yeah. mm-hmm. and by the way you know the 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 sort of bonus disc remixes that they reissued later are are, are almost in the same spirit that those those extra discs of b-sides and you know extra tracks and stuff are similarly curated to flow like you know as a, an actual experience but i i i think for please yeah i think The one thing I'd like to point out is that Two Divided by Zero, uh, which is the opening song, it's not a single, so nobody ever talks about it. But it it basically starts off by telling you everything you're ever going to want to need to know about the Pet Shop Boys aesthetic. It Basically, (laughs) at that point, it's mid-1980s. New Order. You can compare it to Arthur Baker on doing Confusion, you know, which has never been my favorite New Order single, but it's the same kind of aesthetic with far smarter lyrics. And it's that, you know, the skittering beeps in the background, the nasal hyper British vocals. That's that divided by, divided by spoken like a little hook thing that's you know that's two divided by zero and that is basically going to be the way early Pet Shop Boy sounds and I'm 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 all right for it because they also leaven it with these beautiful melodies suburbia you of course Dave talked about but that melody is is uh a music critic would feel very jealous about the ability to write a melody that goes like, Don't take a ride, long with the dogs tonight in suburbia. That's a great melody. That's a great hook. Right
3: the window, by the town hall,
2: were uh, smart kids in, in their, their mom's rooms who really had beautiful musical ideas. And that brings us to actually their second album, which is this perfect summation of it. a lot of people, as I said, think this is one of their greatest records. It, it, it's got single after single. In fact, it opens with their their second informal single uh, with the Tony Orlando. But they said Tony Orlando. Um, gosh, what's Tom? Uh, Dave, help me out. Bobby Orlando. Bobby Bobby, Orlando. Bobby Bobby, yeah. Tommy, Tony—all these Italians—it's hard. They've
1: grown past them pretty quickly. I mean, uh Shop actually is is different producers. Like this is where they start working, you know, Shep Pettibone and like other other club guys. So they they, they learned how to they learned their way around the studio really fast.
2: And Stephen Haig in particular, who's going to go on to do a lot of work with the Smiths and with Morrissey. I think at this point he's—I don't know—he's either concurrently working with the Smiths because it's a strange way zero. But uh, then he's going to go on to work with Morrissey And then with later on Blur And you know there's all sorts of you know inter- interweaving webs Here But this is always This is the album that has It's a Sin This is the album that has the great Dusty Springfield It revived her career What have I done to deserve this This is the one that has mm, I don't know if it's my favorite Pet Shop Boys song of all time But it might be my second favorite In a Look at
3: my hopes Look at mine my-
2: No one else wants to. to, to, I'll just start by saying that "Rent" is a song that when I heard it as a kid, I didn't understand it. I just knew that that was a beautiful lyric, a beautiful melody, a beautiful sentiment. I heard that that the purity of of Neil Tennant's voice when he sang it, and it's only when you get older you realize that it's it's actually a very sad song about a person in a relationship where they're the object, uh, they're, they're the person being acted upon. And they're like, well, you love me, you dress me up in nice clothes, and I love you just because you pay my rent. But what about my hopes and what about yeah. my dreams? Uh, do you really understand them? And it, it's a unique song for There's... a hit single to, to get that, to hit that kind of a mark so perfectly uh, so early on in the Pet Shop Boys career. Well, I guess that's when I knew Neil, Neil Tennant was going to be a real lyrical talent.
0: There's one line in there, Jeff. Uh, we never ever argue. We never calculate. And I love what that what that means. There's no there's no stakes to any of this, right? There there there's not there's no there's no future and, and there's no real stakes to it because if you don't argue about things, no one really cares. If you're not calculating and planning what's happening next, no one really cares. That little line in there is really good.
2: Yeah. So, I mean,
1: this is actually um,
2: well. Actually, what do you think of it, Dad? Yeah,
1: the album uh, stylized as Pet Shop Boys "Tama," actually, period. This is what's on the cover. Uh, I, I kind of. So, we'll, I think we'll discuss the albums later. If uh, I, I have no problem with somebody saying this is their their favorite Pet Shop Boys album, this is when they peaked, et cetera, et cetera. I don't. Uh, I never. I always usually skip over. I want to wake up um hit yeah. music I, I never like let me go, go listen to hit music. ironically let me go listen to music uh, it is very funny i mean they have in so oppor- opportunity the usual thing with a lot of bands especially bands that have thought deeply about being in a band like these guys had mm-hmm. was like okay first album we got our ideas out second album we're gonna have some stuff that, that refines the ideas they do that with, with shopping shopping i think is a kind of even more um even more direct uh, riff on opportunities, <laughs> on, on just the pure uh, capitalism that, that, that yeah erratically yeah, sure. celebrate. Yeah, By the way, yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I had some... OPPING, we're shopping is one of their funniest choruses. <laughs>
3: There's a big bang in the city.
1: has their um it couldn't happen here uh which i think is a little bit overwrought uh i mean, it, I, I king's cross i think is is brilliant yeah it couldn't happen here is, is the um one of the other ballads that they do and they're still refining how they write ballads i still find their early ballads are just kind of like a plunky piano and a sad lyric and they're and they're good and they're atmospheric but i think they get they improve proven this this later but they were so big at this <laughs> in the UK. This time, like it couldn't happen here, was the basis for an entire movie that they that they made, where they they included more songs, more stuff that wasn't on the record. Um, they really, if, I think, if you're getting into discussion of like the Imperial period, they're an enormous band here, and they resurrect Dusty Springfield's career single-handedly. I guess well, there's two of them, double-handedly. They <laughs> they resurrect Dusty Springfield from a has been to a a, uh, a not just this song, but they produce an album for her. Uh, that I, that has I uh, I think some of the one of their best songs on it in private, which they they don't cover themselves. I think for about two decades. Uh, Rent, which I agree, that's one of my favorite songs they ever wrote. I think it's it's a masterpiece. That's when they get to Liza Minnelli and they rearrange oh, the whole thing and turned it into a uh, orchestrated piece. Not yeah, that long a, a, after, after. A, a this. very
2: like a very lush piece. Yes, in fact. Yeah.
1: yeah, I don't think it 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 breathes quite as well as as the version on on the record. I do think this is this is. This is one where that, that, um, it's not even loud, quiet dynamic. It's more soft synthesizer and, 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 and a drop. Uh, I think, I think, it, I think it works great on that, but that melody is incredible. You can do anything with that melody, um, heart, heart. I mostly, I do think visually about Touch up boys in a lot of ways because, uh, when I was discovering them, I was going back and watching videos. Uh, part has one of the the more, uh, videos they probably wouldn't make now, which is, uh, Neil Tennant is new uh, a newlywed going through a castle where Dracula, played by Ian McKellen, lives, and these two very gay men are like competing <laughs> over over this bride. that Clearly, none of them are interested in. Um, but that's just that's one of those imperial period songs. Where, like, God, these guys can do not wrong, can they? But every time I see- The Sin, I think, was also, I want to say that was one of their breakout hits everywhere except the U.S. It did fine, um, but uh, but around, around the world, that was that was one where they, because West End Girls is a fun song. You can dance a little bit to it, but in terms of something you can drop in a club and have people dancing, not quite there. It's a sin you could. Mm-hmm. So they really they really stretch everything they did on Please. I think they stretch yeah. uh, sometimes. In a, it, it, they stretch it period sometimes it's better than what they did before it is clear that they are not going to run out of stuff it's not that they didn't have a few ideas even like one more chance that starts the record uh is less less gimmicky and more inviting than two divided by zero. Two divided by zero is a good song but as as a, as kicking off an album uh you got your weird vocals but then you have you have the build and the build of all the stuff they're adding mm-hmm. uh the synthesizer dun dun Dun, dun, which another thing they return to on shopping they're very good at just adding a couple a couple quick stabs of, of a keyboard that, that, that grab you in it's just great songwriting all over this the city is quiet But I think shopping and rent back to back are pretty funny because shop, shop, I mean, Jeff talked about sequencing. Shopping is a very silly cons- a song about consumerism. Rent is rent, not okay. silly at all. <laughs> it is like some of the yeah, it's okay. in, in the zone of paying for things, but a very a very uh, bracing song that that, that is uh, not not quite as lighthearted about a world where you're you're paying for things.
2: Yeah, and boy, Dave, again, thanks for stealing. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the sequencing matters there. I also, by the way, love the fact that they wrote a song called Hit Music that isn't a hit and it isn't you know, like very particularly poppy, but it is a good song. I'm just going to do another yeah. thing. I'm, I'm going to do another thing, my crap, on everyone's parade and point out that people were like barking up the wrong tree when they asked about It's a Sin, which is a great single, by the way. We didn't really give it enough credit. Damn good hit single. I like the disco mix, most of all. Um, but that one wasn't plagiarized, no matter what Jonathan King said. (laughs) It actually might have been (laughs) nicked just a little bit. It's definitely the Dusty song. It's it's, what have I done to deserve this, which uh, does anybody here, again, I'm going to ask, does anybody here happen to be a big fan of the Hollies?
0: (laughs) Only after I saw your tweet about this last night, Jeff.
2: Yeah, well did you did you click the links? You know I'm talking about that yeah. that that little that little hook that, How am I gonna get through? Mm-hmm. How am I gonna get through is literally just the same as she'll never trust in anybody no more from the Hollies Oriental Sadness, She'll Never Trust in Anybody No More, which is the name of the song off of the, obs- the obscure album track off 1966, Would You Believe? And if you wanna know why Neil Tennant knows it. What do you think weedy, high-voiced singers listen to when they buy pop (laughs) albums? They listen to weedy, high-voiced pop singers.
3: How can I begin to reach love?
2: Okay, I, I bet dollars to donuts he took it from there. And I don't even mind. It's a beautiful song. And, and you know, Dusty is in full power. I love 60s era Dusty Springfield. Uh, the expressiveness of her voice, by the way. It's just a singular thing. One day, I, I keep dreaming, we'll get, for some reason, a Bert Blockerock fan. And we can just do a, all of his greatest productions like episode, and I'll just talk about Dusty Springfield's greatest versions of his songs. Um, she's a great singer in any year at any time, and this is, by the way, again the sort of the music critics' delight. They're taking the opportunity to resurrect some of their old favorites from their childhood. Dusty Springfield's career was dead in the water from nineteen seventy onwards, and like all of a sudden, the Pet Shop Boys just said, "You know what? We're not even going to record the song unless we can get her." she <laughs> finally agreed so they did it and it's a number two hit in both the united states and the united kingdom and there's a generosity of spirit there which is just impossible for me not to respect you
3: always That's
2: one of the reasons why I love the Pet Shop Boys music, but it's also, I, I like the Pet Shop Boys, is that they just don't seem like jerks. They seem like, wow, <laughs> we're famous suddenly? Let's just do what we can to like like resurrect other people's careers, which is kind of the way David Bowie acted when uh, suddenly he found fame, and he was like, okay, I'm going to bring Lou Reed, Nicky Pop, and Martha Hoople back.
0: What Have I Done to Deserve This is just a fantastic pop song, and I think that's a moment on this album too, when even perhaps somewhat skeptical people would have to admit there's more happening here than just figuring out a way to sequence a song or figuring out the beats that work. Just a fantastic song. Uh, Allie Willis. A who dialogue, wrote, a wonderful little dialogue yeah. between people too. Yeah. Allie Willis, who wrote part of that song, wrote Dusty's part, the since you've been away, since you went away part, also wrote uh, September and Boogie Wonderland for earth, wind and fire. And, and do you know, huh? by the way, what else she wrote? No. She wrote, I'll be there for you. The theme from Friends was written by the same person <laughs> who wrote part of What Have I Done to D- Deserve This? You, you mean the song that the Rembrandts yes. made a hit? Yes, the Rembrandt song. That,
2: I, oh, wow. I thought that was written by the Rembrandts. Now <laughs> you not. really dropped knowledge on me.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, that Dusty Springfield part is perfect. There were about four or five different hooks that all would work in different songs if they wanted to split them apart in What Have I Done to Deserve This. That's just a great, great song. Dave said uh, they sort of consolidated some of the stuff they were doing on that first album and, and pushed it further and figured out what they were doing and did it did it better. I think the, the highlights here are are higher. What Have I Done to Deserve This? One More Chance is a better lead-off single. It's a Sin is just this overblown, you know, balls-to-the-wall production. And what I like about It's a Sin, and I, I don't know if I'm going to say this right but i i think it has a very motown progression to it which again uh-huh. is something that a music critic would know and understand and perhaps work into a, a song like this uh you know the, the rhythmic pr- progression of it is, is is very reminiscent of some things from the late mid-late 1960s um boy have D- t- spent a lot of time talking about things that i also wanted to mention which is fine here's one thing i would Sorry. say the yeah. difference between the first and second um and again yeah. i would think i would say like, on, on please, the rhythms and the sequences are just a little stiff, if that makes sense. And, and, and on actually, they become more pliable. Like, they understand more how they can write with the instruments that they're using and how to get it a little, a little more flexible, uh, if that makes any sense at all. That's the, one of the bigger differences I see between please and actually. But taken as a whole um heart heart's a great song um i want to wake up is is a good song i, I do think this is a, a slight step up it might be on my list of two albums here at the end of the program
1: okay yeah, i just would want to give a little more credit to uh it's a sin just because this is they lean a bit more and and as they as they existed uh in, in the aids era i mean they 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 start they're starting out in it it becomes more relevant as they write the songs more direct but um, just the, 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 the one of the one of the most memorable lyrics uh, that Hanover that wrote. I and mean, um, at school, they taught me how to be so pure in thought and word. Indeed, and they didn't quite succeed. Uh, which has this has this that could be a little like a little limerick. That could be like an Edward Lear limerick, <laughs> like one of his better ones. Um, the the bridge where he's praying and Father, for, or he's in a confessional. Father, forgive me. I try not to do it. Turned over a new leaf and tore right through it. Uh, like this is. They're, they're leaning a bit more into not just club music but like we're writing songs for people who are partying and are very aware that they've made choices that might be hurting them uh, not that not they're judging just like I'm, I'm living my life and I'm at risk uh, I'm at risk because of the life I'm living uh, it's a really rich text in a way that they didn't quite get in Fleas and they just keep expanding on that as they go so I
2: I'm going to take it from here because this is where pet shop boys enter what they call their Imperial phase. It's so they've had, I don't know how many number ones, number twos, top fives, top tens in the United Kingdom. They've had a number one in, in America, number two with, uh, uh, with a Dusty Springfield song. And now we get to... I have to admit this. This has always been my favorite Pet Shop Boys album. This is the first one I ever bought after the greatest hits. would have been 2003. This is an album called Introspective. But in order to explain it, you have to kind of set it up first because they released... They're, they're, they're in the uh, you know—the the biggest fashion in the United Kingdom during that era as we're doing cover songs. We're doing charity singles. We're doing this and that and the other thing. Um, uh, and so to prove their bona fides, <laughs> well, what is it that the pet shops boys do? They do a cover of uh, what was the occasion that they did this? It was an Elvis Presley tribute,
1: is that what it was, Dave? Uh, a song called It was for that movie, it was for that movie. Um, it couldn't happen here, but I uh, like it also that's another thing where this is one of their big hits. Um, you know, West End girls they don't rap that often always in my mind it has very has i think lyrics that are less witty and more clumsy than Neil Tennant likes to write we didn't Um, write
2: them that's what you didn't write
1: them that's (laughs) but yeah it was it was it was kind of a a new track that was not going to be the album and it was a huge hit
2: i i went back and looked it was for itv they were doing like a television special like uh an elvis Mm -hmm. presley 10th anniversary elvis is dead the king is dead and so like you know as a joke Yeah, there we go. Which two songs are we doing? We're gonna do the song "Baby, Let's Play House," which, incidentally, is one of the most sexist Elvis lyrics ever. Or we're (laughs) gonna do all. It is. It's the one that, that John Lennon based Run For Your Life upon. I'd rather see a dead little girl than to be with another man. Mm-hmm. Tough stuff. Instead, they did this one, which ironically enough I don't really think of as an Elvis song. And maybe that's because we uh, Scott will identify here. We did the Willie Nelson episode not too long ago, mm-hmm. uh, which is where Always On My Mind was his number one hit in the early 80s. Uh, this is a song apparently that that may never die. It's as old as the Rocks um, and I still sometimes wonder If this weird bam Slam bam thank you ma'am Bizarre synth pop Horn fanfare version of it With <laughs> Neil Tennant singing so wistfully Singing those lyrics just so wistfully Over that industrial rhythm It, it sure shit is my favorite of them all yeah.
0: Yeah, this Ruin Nelson episode we did recently where Always on My Mind played a big role in, in his career. This uh this version that Pet Shop Boys do, it's odd in as I listen to it again here going through albums, I must have heard it far more than I remember. And I wonder if at some point I actually thought it was the original. Like oh when I was very
2: weirdly remixed, right? Like, oh then maybe they're messing with his voice in some way? Yes.
0: Um and it, it it is a wonderful version that Pet Shop Boys have come up with. I don't know I don't know if I find it superior to the Willie Nelson version, but they found a lot of success writing this tune to the top of the charts.
2: So, I guess that sets us up for an album where I guess they, they did the backwards play where uh, they released all these things. There's six songs on this record. This to me is the station to station of Pet Shop Boy's career. <laughs> there, there are only six tracks. And so if they're only going to be six songs, they damn well better be good ones or else you're in a lot of trouble. They're lucky. All six songs are great. Now, the funny thing about it is that four of them were released as singles. <laughs> that was a good point. Uh, but the singles are almost different products. So Always On My Mind is here, but it's a different, it's a re-recording. You have uh, Domino Dancing, which is you know probably the first time there's a Pet Shop Boys single that I'm not as thrilled with as the rest. You have It's All Right, a cover that's amazing. But most of all, you have the track that this thing opens with. I will say it right now, put my cards on the table. Left to My Own Devices is the greatest Pet Shop Boys song of all time. I think from it. I, I take the eight-minute version. I'll take the single edit. Every you know string flourish you can give me. Every rap <laughs> beat. Every break beat. This is the most beautifully, endlessly danceable, compulsive pop hook that Tenet and Lowe ever came up with, and uh, it anchors, I think, what their best album is as well.
0: You, you made me go back. I made you, you encouraged me to go back and make sure I heard the single uh, mixes, single versions of all these. Songs from introspective and some of these albums here, and uh, I am glad you did the "Love the, to My Own Devices" and the album is a very, very, very good song. The single version is just bulletproof. Bulletproof.
2: Four minutes of gold. There's nothing else you need. It just edits everything else out. All the art crap. I put that off to the album. Um,
0: but I will say this, and I don't, again, I Jeff, you, you've known me now for six plus years. I don't think this will shock you mm-hmm. that this is my. Probably my least favorite Pet Shop Boys album from this initial six, seven album period. And sure. it's probably the same reason that you like it. Love it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't quite appeal to me. The um, you know, most of these tracks are seven minutes, eight minutes, nine minutes long. There's only six of them. And that repetitive club sort of atmosphere to these songs just wears on me a bit. And it's not that I don't think they're a good songs. Left to my own devices is a is a great song. Uh, I think I'm not scared is um one of my two favorite songs on on this record uh that, that sort of militaristic locked in charging synth there's a real menace to that song that i like but the other ones that I like are the are, uh, uh, is the first and the last. So it's all right and left to my own devices, and they're both produced by Trevor Horn from uh, <laughs> the Buggles and the uh, Buggles and yes, 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 for a little while. Yes, his production, owner
2: of a, owner of a lonely heart. Yes, his yeah.
0: production on those two tracks is really pristine. I love the clean and crisp and smoothness that he brings to both those tracks. They do sound different than other things. On the record, on By the all way, right. by the
2: way, if you really want the Trevor Hornet production aesthetic, it, it, they were going for it's actually Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which <laughs> is it, which is why the Pet Shop Boys got him involved in this. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they were
3: hitting there.
0: Dancing, the lead single here, has sort of a, a Latin dance pop feel, which they dig deeper into a few albums from here. Um, they always find these little um, accoutrements. So on Domino Dancing, there's this flamenco guitar picking that is really interesting. On It's All Right, there's the, like this wah-wah guitar sound halfway through. Um, and they're very good about that. I think there was a, uh, might have been a song, maybe it's on the next album, where there's this very... 25, 30 seconds of piano that is just really, oh no, it's in Left My Own Devices. It's it's a quick piano part there that that is really nice. Um, So, you know, introspective does sort of take you, it's, you know, going to the club with the Pet Shop Boys. So you have these house textures, these very repetitive, circular beats in these long songs. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate, as I said, uh, a few of these uh, songs very much, but when you when I try to stack it against the other albums from this era of Pet Shop Boys, it is probably my least favorite.
2: All I can conclude about you, Scott, is that you just don't like to have fun. You don't like to party. You know. <laughs> you know. You, don't, you, you You don't like the groove, man. I mean, just put on for forty minutes. Just listen to some
1: nonstop groove. Come you're, on.
0: You're not too far away from the truth, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I love about this
1: record, Dave. Yeah, I. Uh, so th- I remember with all of my mind. I think I heard Pet Shop Boys version before i heard the elvis version just because I, I was I don't know, was it 1996 or something i probably heard it on mtv uh when it, when it was new and i then i heard the elvis version and i was like oh where are all those like melodies i loved and this is the, they do this a lot they do this with the remixes and they do this with their covers is they will they do this with go west which we'll talk about later they just figure they it's <laughs> not to like over over credit what they're doing here, but it, but it reminds me of a scene in Amadeus when Mozart gets Salieri's piece, and he's like, this kind of goes on like this, doesn't it? And he keeps adding flourishes to it. They just <laughs> keep adding hooks to it. It's always on my mind. Like they... That's not in the, in the original song. And they add it in this whole... Record, they it's so if you relatable listen to the because singles, if, there's, if there's a song yeah. you've
2: loved your entire life that you've been humming to yourself and t- your entire yeah. life, you've done it too. Mm-hmm. You've probably like thrown on like mm-hmm. a little thing, like when you're really like excited, <laughs> and then like you're like, well, well, why not record my version of it? And that's what they did. They just recorded all of their extra additions to that song and made it something new.
1: Yeah, on the further listening, there's an even longer version which has a different, like more synthesizer parts that Chris Lodis threw on there, and they're all great. So, I mean, okay. there's I. I remember, yeah, th- this record, I, I think, was the, the last I got. I, I got, I, I think, just um, if I recall the like teenage Dave's mind, I would look at an album and look at the price and say, well, this album has 12 songs on it. And this <laughs> album has six songs. So sure. I'm going with 12 songs. That's a better value. Right. I, I honestly think I was dumb enough to, to do it in that order for that reason. And never being surprised. Uh, not bored, though. I mean, it's very, like one of my favorite, uh, the least discussed probably from this record is I Want a Dog. Um, which I, I, I the version on this record is the only one I really love which just begins with this this really good bass, bass hook that can be its own its own thing and then the house piano uh, that I was talking about um and it builds and builds and then it's a very goofy song about like just about the you know ennui that Neil Tennant sings about Pick up the about
3: the sun Learn to ignore what the photographer saw I was always Join a club, stick with the gang if you want to belong. I was a lonely boy, no strength, no joy in a world of my own. At the back of the garden, I didn't want to compete or play out on the street or in a secret life. I was a rounded general. I could leave you, say goodbye, or I could.
1: Has a couple of different modes of, of lyric writing it's he has the um what sounds like him honestly kind of writing a diary it has him as a character that he's embodying and it has him being more of a social critic and him as the goofy as, as kind of making fun of, of a character with like you know menial thoughts is <laughs> always fun to me uh it's good it's not like i think i um i think there's like nothing nothing wrong with the album i think as a, just in that millennial zone where all of us have ADHD, I probably d- do pick it up less and listen thoroughly to the songs less than the other records. This is one, though, if you're like still buying records, which you should, like this is the further listening that just has this era. They, they are, I'd say two things. One, this is where they stopped being a hit band in the United States for a while. Um, Left to of Devices is, in, is incredible. I agree with everything, but it's not a hit in the US. The hit in the UK, um, it, it it i think it makes the top 100 but it's just. it the uk it, you hear it everywhere you don't in the us it's like oh well it's the same kind of song as west side uh, Gro- west end girls but it's not hitting uh, always on my mind was a big hit and actually in the uk you know it beat a uh, fairy tale of new york for the christmas number 1 <laughs> the year it came out it's enormous like i'm saying as the scale of this thing the christmas song that everyone still knows from 1986 always on my mind was a bigger hit than that. Um, so <laughs> they and the version on this, with all the extra synthesizer goofiness, it's, it's awesome. I mean, like that's usually the one I go back to, because I want to hear uh, as many as, like, if, if I hear... I think I learned this record. If I have the choice between a five-minute runtime and a 12-minute runtime on a Pet Shop Boys song, I'll choose the 12 minutes. They're not going to, like, slow it down and make it boring. You're going to keep adding stuff that Chris had to cut. Uh, like, uh, so, it's... It, it, it's it's. I think I, I like it... Um, I like it for what it is, but I, I, I rate this probably lower than you guys because I am more of a fan of the, the diversity. I like that they can add melodies on things, but when they really can draw, build a bigger suite of songs, mm-hmm. I like it more. What they're doing in this era, though, everything rules. I mean, every, everything they're producing, everything that they're, they're remixing, everything they're adding sections to, they can, uh, this is great. Like, they just like are kings of melody for like a good five-year stretch.
2: I love Introspective because it's kind of a unique album for me and that it, it sort of achieves something that I don't know if there's any other record I own does. And it's something they've been trying to do and would continue to try to do for a while. They had a side project during these careers called the Disco Projects where they just yeah. sort of get remixes of their songs and then they they you know sometimes they do them themselves sometimes they'd segue them you know have other people do them but then they'd segue them together like it's a, a 50 minute or 60 minute like you know a long non-stop house groove this is the album that actually approaches that while still being original these are original statements these are even though many of them are covers but the covers are so reinterpretive that they're original mm-hmm. in their own right and it just flows, everything flows I have to just you know go back and say one last thing about Left of My Own Devices I really do believe it's their best song and I actually think that right there in that one lyric that I quoted right at the front of the show, you have Neil Tennant and Pet Shop Boys explaining their entire aesthetic in one complex it's the. I mean, I can't hope to imitate his voice, but it's like, I was faced with a choice at the difficult age. Would I write a book or should I take to the stage? But in the back of my head, I heard distant feet, Shea Guevara and Debussy to a disco beat. That's the Pet Shop Boys. Shea Guevara and Debussy yeah. to a disco beat when you're trying to decide whether you're going to be a writer or you're going to be an artist. Well, you chose the artist and here you are, you're left to your own devices, which is otherwise, incidentally, a love song, just a typical love song, which I think my favorite part of it is that one of the, one of the verses where the strings are just totally freaking out in the background, as Neil Tennant describes the most quotidian and might imaginable. He goes home, he makes some food, he sits around reading a book and doing nothing at all, waiting for you to call him. I was faced
3: with a choice at a difficult age. Would I write a book? Or should I take to the stage? But in the back of my head, I heard distant feet. Che Guevara and Debussy to a disco beat. It's not a crime when you look the way you do. The way I like to picture you. When I get home, it's late at night. I pour a drink.
2: It's just hilarious. I guess it gets that, that emotional restlessness. That to me is 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 it's musical sound painting. It's it's one of their greatest achievements. I also want to point out, and and you know, Dave also, you know, said this, the reissue series that has these sort of four further listening extra discs is every one of them are great. And, and actually, by the way, when they get into later years, they kind of get self-indulgent where they become double disc sets and you're like, I don't need that many remixes. But these early ones are so fantastic and on introspective. There's no better than like songs like Don Juan are amazing. Losing my mind, losing my mind is a Stephen Sondheim cover that I, I mean, and then there's nothing to improve. They gave that. That was Dusty Springfield's next big next big hit, but I prefer their version here. Mm-hmm. was was the line they may be false they may be true but nothing has been proved it's a really they, they were very Morrissey like you know the way Morrissey tried to resurrect Sandy Shaw's career so too did Neil yeah. Tennant resurrect Dusty Springfield's career I
3: think he's got his story about
2: I love this era of the band. Um, I'm not so certain, however, that I love the next record of the band as much as everyone else on the planet. Uh, Because that's because their follow-up to this one was Behavior. Um, uh another massive smash hit in the United Kingdom um, not as much in the United States at this point but artistically and critically this one is I guess as well regarded as any of them and to me it's just a little bit softer and I'll, it falls off a slight bit from from what I consider
3: their peak boy, from another town with another love. Concentrated frown. I spoke too fast. Watchful eyes of a recent past and some nostalgic surprise. We don't talk of love. We're much too shy. But now
1: yeah i i remember having the the popular critical opinion when i first heard it like oh everything on here is they've refined their sound it's so good and it is more refined uh, they are it is a it's the first i think album that's more sad than than dancy um <laughs> yes. because, in ways I, I love jealousy uh and i again love I'm mean, going to stop saying I love the longer version. There is a like, nine minute version of guilty that begins with uh, Neil Tennant reading poetry <laughs> that yeah. you can hear the album version is still fine too. Uh, but every, every, every song on this is, it, this, this is when they're writing more about the, the climate that your, you know, middle-class uh, active gay man is living in, in 1989. Um, it's, it's, it's running through a lot of the lyrics. Uh, it has one of one of their more like direct, goofy satires, how can you expect to be taken seriously, which is just, that's like the the rock credit coming out in Neil Tennant, that's just a song that's making fun of, of basically Bono, but, but like all celebrities who are taking on a cause, which it was not every, old, every single celebrity in Eight it is now, uh, but, but like that, that song has gotten funnier over time, uh, but I think just melodically, it's a little it's a little more samey, it is a little more influenced by uh, the R&B that's coming out at this time in the late '80s, which mm. I like a lot, but it, but it, but it uh, there's some New Jack's Swing in it. Uh, there's right. there's some of the kind of uh you know, like late late Barry White uh, comeback Barry White. It, it's good, but it's not springing in as many directions as they as we just heard them do for three albums. You live nothing about it is bad. It does bore me a little bit toward the the back half. I mean, after my, only The Wind and My October Symphony are kind of your the slowest, I think the the slowest they got in a a sequenced album. Like, how much do you want to sit down and and listen to that? But uh, when they peck up, I think that when they peck uh, things up, like with The End of the World right before Jealousy, uh, I do like that. I mean, I I think they they do this uh, uh, for the rest of their career. They've always been sequencing these albums with um, a momentum change toward the end. Uh, this one, there's probably more slowness than I really like in a Pet Shop Boys record. Even if the singles are are all fantastic, uh, I'm not even sure if um how, how you expect to be, it was. There's a video for it. How can you expect to be ter- uh, taken seriously? Was a single, but um yeah, a little slower than I like from these guys. Good, but 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 a little more, a little a little too laid back.
0: Scott. I like it because it's a little slower. So um, it, it is more reflective. It's a little less over the top. It's more theatrical uh, in, right. in some ways. Uh, but that endears it to me. Um, and I think Tennant, as much as he can, is singing a little more here and being <laughs> a little more emotive.
2: You know, Neil Tennant has a nice high voice. He's not a bad singer. He just is. He's not John Anderson of yes. Right. You're, he just right. likes to rap cuz it just <laughs> sounds weirdly compelling. I think that's the reason he does the sprech them.
0: And it's an album that has to be heard, I think, and, and clearly I was not around and not in the scene, but it has to be heard in um uh, with, with an eye toward what's happening in the in the gay community and with the way that AIDS mm. is affecting people around the band and friends and people who are being Diagnosed and at this point it's essentially a death sentence, and that's that's you know part of what is infused through some of these songs. Being boring, of course, one of the prime examples where you have this uh tale of friendship and, and loss, um and 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 the way it moves through the three different verses in that song. Now it seems different
3: faces in rented rooms. Far away. All the people I was kissing, some are here and some are.
0: For, let me go back, uh, I guess, very quickly to uh, How Can You Expect to Be Taken Seriously? Because it is a song, as Dave mentioned, that essentially is skewering U2 and Bob Geldof and Sting and other people who sort of, in, in the rock and roll world, who have their uh, sights set on changing the world. And I, as I was listening to Behavior as an album, and then How Can You Expect to Be Taken Seriously as a song, as a standalone song, it did occur to me, you have them, you have Neil Tennant, Swiping at these guys for doing Live Aid and USA for Africa and, uh you know, tell me, baby, how you really hate publicity. You're an intellectual giant and authority. Preach and teach the whole world about ecology. But it's the same album in which they are not intentionally so trying to open the world's eyes to what's happening in the, in the gay c- communities. And they're not, I, the difference I'm trying to make here is they're not being preachy about it it's more of this is just our this is our this is our life these are our lives this is what's happening uh and they're not trying to raise a million dollars or 10 million dollars and and they're not necessarily being preachy about it in the way that that bono was around this time they're just telling the tale what's happening in in their lives and i guess that's where i would i would put that that difference being uh but go ahead
2: i wonder where you go but Darren exposed the proof it hurts too much to face the truth, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is, in my opinion, the best song on this album by far. Uh, to face the truth is not single, it's just an absolutely fantastic, beautiful ballad. It's a production. I, the bass, I don't know how to, I, I it sounds like fretless bass. It sounds like I describe it in my mind as Kate Bush bass because <laughs> it's like it's like the bass you'd hear on Hounds of Love or mm-hmm. something like that, or you know, like uh, you know. Uh, One of one of those like late '80s albums of hers, but I just think it's there's there are these weird puffing pipes in the left channel that come in at the end of every chorus that are just the perfect touch to a song that is really about heartbreak. I guess on one level, you know, about like you know, I don't know, are we out of are we have we fallen out of love? I don't know where you are. The lyric can just be scanned on that level, but when we take it on the level that you were just talking about, Scott, it obviously is about facing up to a much deeper truth and a much uglier one. And so, like, you know, behavior as an album in whole, it, it's obviously good. I mean, my problem with it is is that some of the songs f- sound like retreads. So, like, so hard. I like that a lot more when yes. it's called Suburbia. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and it wasn't there. Even there's a great Stephen Tyler story, Scott, that you found. Do You want to tell us about this one about oh, the
0: song "So Hard"? You know, I oh, okay. I I, I think I got the details right. It's not necess- it's not due to drugs, but it's it was it was it was. They well, were we don't to know say, that for sure, my friend. True. You
2: know, That's you know, you know <laughs> hey, Pet Shop Boys might be flying for all we know. You know, they're are cruising on the club scene.
0: <laughs> but it was it was just trying to say that they weren't intentionally trying to write these songs that were you know that were dance hits and I can't remember which way it was I think it was Tennant who was reacting they they were hearing a remix of so hard a dance mix of so hard and Neil Tennant uh, was listening and turns to partner and says man why why can't we write songs like that he said it is it's us it's us Tell me why, Very close to a similar story that happened to Steven Tyler and Joe Perry of Aerosmith. That one we know <laughs> was drug related. Um this one
2: They're related to something opaque. like, you know, like from like, you know, you know, back in the saddle or something like yeah. that. They're like, why don't we rock like that? And I'm like <laughs> We rocked like that. That was us. That was that. That was when we actually rocked.
0: Yeah. If I recall, Joe Perry was much more direct in his uh, repudiation. Yes, I think he may have used uh, some curse words. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, one other uh, song I wanted to mention from Behavior, as I look over my notes, I think only "The Wind" is one of their best songs and and, and prettiest songs. It's a very beautiful piano figure. And it's where they sort of intentionally, Dave mentioned, they're always trying to add these little hooks. And as they go further into a song, these things to, to sort of wrap your arms around. And Only the Wind, they do include these these like synth blasts that they, of course, use in many of these songs, but they're very muted. They're muted in the background. That piano figure really takes center stage. And
2: They're insufferably tasteful, aren't they? They yes. very tasteful production.
0: It's one of those songs, too, where, S- where Tennant is trying to be a little more expressive in this tale about a very stormy relationship. I think it's one of their, I'll use Jeff's word, really most tasteful songs. It's a pretty song. It's Only the Wind
3: Blowing candles along the streets. Someone's dust been lit Playing havoc with the peace There's nobody hiding Behind the locked door And no one's been lying Cause we don't lie anymore It's only the wind How it takes you by surprise Suddenly begins Then before you know it dies My hands are not shaking I don't touch a drum You must be mistaken I know when to stop When life is calm
2: Being boring was great too. I'm glad that that Dave mentioned that. And uh, you know, this kind of, I, they re, they released a couple more singles, non-album singles here. That kind of, and I guess what I they call at least their Imperial era, the, the, where they dominated the UK charts, and it all kind of got summarized in a compilation that I'm just going to mention because I can't recommend it at the end because I have to recommend albums and songs, I feel, in this case. But Discography, the Complete Singles Collection, this was my introduction to Pet Shop Boys. It is just the singles all in a row, the single mixes, nothing but. And uh, 18 songs, 80 minutes long, it's damn worth it. It's fantastic. And they emerged on the other end of it three years later with their uh, next album. Uh, again, uh, this one, the gimmick, was that it was released in like a a polka dot cheese case. I remember this being in in CD (laughs) stores. Does anybody else?
0: They called it the Lego uh, cover. The the Lego thing.
2: I remember seeing it all the time back in like Best Buys and like Sam Goodies and stuff like that when I was 12 and 13. Um, And this is very, and I actually consider this to be the end of their their, their great period because I think this is one of their, this is, they have so many great records and songs after this. But this one is actually basically great from start to finish, and it ends with one of the most hilarious punks punkings of all time in, in a in a village people cover that's actually a mass up hit single. I love everything from Can you Forgive Forgiver all the way to go west. I don't know what you guys think of Barry. Well,
1: but certainly the one that I'll send I'll give to somebody who only knows West End girls yeah uh cuz the melodies are just so undeniable and the, yeah. and they're so uh, can you forgive her of, like is 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 witty there's nothing like it dreaming of the queen uh is is it, like it's just way with a phrase I mean like there were there were no, no there were no more lovers left alive no one has survived being said in the song by by lady Di Or Prince, I guess at that point, still Prince. uh, Well, no, she was lady at that point. I'm not sure if she was a princess anymore. Um, This is another one where the remix is really... I go back and forth. I like the remixes better. Like, I wouldn't normally do this sort of thing. uh, Exists in a very fun, dancy way. On the record, has a great um, break midway through. Uh, Everything that this was... um, You you mentioned what they did, the, the Village People song. This album's both sophisticated and it also comes with their goofiest aesthetic. The one the goofiest they'll ever do. They do a couple they're getting goofier, so they, the pitch up boys look, which is important. Um, I mean they kind of borrow the yeah, sparks they, thing, as I mentioned from the West End and and, and, and Curl's video of, of there's a guy who sings and a guy who plays. Um, and for most of their career so far, they are two guys who look pretty normal. They're wearing some, maybe some good fashion. Chris Lowe has some glasses on, maybe Neil Tennant puts some glasses on. This record they they look like they, they just, like, merge with a game of Candyland. Uh, their aesthetic is uh, body suits, really bad CGI, very bright colors. All the videos look like uh, something that would come with, like, you know, Windows 95. <laughs> uh, they have a, a very goofy look uh, with this record that I think is... Um, and If you're watching the video for, for like, Go West, it, it's in there. Uh, Match with this really sophisticated music, which I, I think... Just like Melody for Melody has been my my favorite of their albums. Yeah. Even stuff that I don't I don't go back to like Young offender I'm not like let me let me let me wake up and listen to Young offender today mm-hmm. but it has this like this wonderful almost kind of like telephone ring uh, electronic hook that keeps coming back and back in that how
3: graceful your I a teenager since before you were born and than small.
1: Every, everything in like a a different point of view has as another one where is is it like their most brilliant song no but but a jeff's been kind of on on top of all the songs where they're they're, co- uh, they're borrowing from some other melody that one definitely ring I, I feel like i've heard that melody somewhere in the past the their version of it i, I love so much uh yeah it's it, this is a perfect pop album I think at the time too it was also seen as a bit of a comeback i just mm-hmm. i spent all this time talking about how weird they look aesthetically as they tore the thing um but you know the uh like the behavior did fine, but like I said it was a little bit more maudlin morose and this is just where this where did this goofy band with all these hooks come 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 from it is i think it's like just song for song they they are a lot of like the slowest it gets really um Is kind of dreaming of dreaming of the queen, which has those because it has those big fat horns and and the way it's arranged. It's not like a it's it's not like a very quiet song. This is this is a very loud album, but all the loudness is earned by just how good these songs are.
2: This is this is close to their best album, and it's well the one where they kind of fell back in love with the pop hooks. I also yeah. want. I also want to point out that you mentioned "Young Offender" as a song that you're like, oh, I don't ever listen to that. That's the best song on the album, man. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that's my favorite single song. It's the most of developed production and melody on the record. It's so beautiful. It's so strange. Um, but uh, when I mentioned punking, well, the reason that that uh, "Go West" is such a hilarious. This is a massive hit in in. Britain. It was a pretty decent hit in America as well. It is of course a village people song on which you hear the village people. I, I assume it's them singing the choruses in the background but it's also yeah. friggin' Pachelbel's Canon and Date. Does anybody else notice it's the same chords? It opens with the da, mm-hmm. da, 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 It's the same thing. <laughs> you man, you managed to mash up Pachelbel's Bell's Cannon and the Village People and take it to the charts? I am impressed. There,
3: where the air is free, will be what we want. Find a place
2: mashups this reminds me we were talking about how um uh, uh neil Tennant was making fun of bono and you two uh, on the last album well in between mm-hmm. the last album this album they also managed to put out another great single that we forgot to mention which oh, yeah. is their, oh, God, co- yeah. <laughs> their cover of where the streets have no name with the most epic you know guitar rattling edge riff they do this weird disco dance version of where the streets have no name and then they throw that broadway tune in and I was like I was I only have eyes for you yo know, valley tune yeah it's a Frankie valley but it yeah. sounds like that
3: that's <laughs> that's the
2: that's the mashup aesthetic and, and and the mashup aesthetic you know surfaces there If surfaces and go west that's a huge part of the everything that i've ever loved about pet shop Boys. i want-
1: like they just write another song in the middle of it but like they're where the Aries free will be where we want to be that's not yeah. the village people they just they just say like we have this other idea for to make this song better we're just gonna rewrite the song it's,
2: uh, we're gonna give them the songwriting credit but we're gonna add whatever we feel like as long as i get the money i want to add my own bit and that's that's <laughs> yeah. the pet shop boys aesthetic and that's the music critic nerd way of thinking about it it's like i just want to do my thing and so i love this record scott
0: i think dave Nailed it, which is if you were, and I do think this after having ingested all this Pet Shop Boys, if you were to give someone who only knew uh, West End Girls uh, a Pet Shop Boys album, it's probably this one because there's a little bit of everything. Everything they've done well on the past, whatever, four four or five albums, there's a little bit of it here somewhere. And so you, you sort of bounce around from this to that and it all works well and it's all professionally done and it's all very good because it is... Pet Shop Boys. It's the only number one album in the UK that they had. They had a bunch of number one singles, but the only number one in the UK. And uh, it's, it's more up-tempo. It's more fun. Can You Forgive Her is this tale of humiliation for a
2: nasty song. It's right? a really dark, messed up lyric behind a very pumpy but track.
0: There you go. Set to this very splashy and fun <laughs> track. Um, and the, I think it's the very next song. I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, the way I describe this is, now, Weird Al has never done a Pet Shop Boys pastiche, but if mm-hmm. he did, I'm pretty sure it would sound exactly like I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing. because right. it feels... unfortunately
2: sounds a little bit too much like left to my own devices, is it's, my thought.
0: It's a little close, mm-hmm. but it's a little, well, it's a little wackier. It's a little weirder, a little small, yeah. a little fun, bouncy. It's the Weird Al pastiche of the Pet Shop Boys, perhaps, if he were to do one. That's how I, I see that, uh, that song. Ask me when. As I said, you get these different um, sides of the band. D- Dreaming of the Queen that, that Dave mentioned is a little slower, uh, like like the last album. You have a, uh, a, a house dance track in, in One and One Make Five, which which harkens back to the, the longer tracks. Uh, to Speak is a Sin is very behavior-esque. I think that's, that's one of the other really mm-hmm. great songs on this album. Very lush, subdued track. There's a really sweet key change late in that song that helps to to sell it. Um, Liberation is uh I mentioned earlier a song that had kind of a or it's a synth, I said had kind of a Motown-esque feel to it in the way it progressed. I think Liberation has a very Motown-esque bass line to it. I'm sure it's a synth bass line, but it feels like a Motown-esque uh, uh song. And this is where Jeff mentioned Tennant has a very pretty sort of high-end falsetto. He he gets into that here in Liberation. There are Mm -hmm. just so many different angles of things that Pet Shop Boys do well that are all represented on Very. It doesn't have their very best songs, but on a track-by-track basis, it might be their most consistent album from this era.
2: I think i'm not gonna i'm going to agree with you at the end of the show and, and i also think by the way like you talked you know, dave was also mentioning how visual they're becoming and when you saw them Dave, they had the very very theatrical dancers and all and whatnot and uh mm-hmm. by the way i've always thought that the idea of a pet shop boys live show seemed weirdly superfluous <laughs> so maybe maybe you know something i don't because it seems like what are they doing he's singing and they're playing programmed songs. I don't really know how it works, but uh, uh, I, I think of a song like The Theater, which basically lays it right out uh, and also <laughs> mentions that that's the aesthetic they're going for. Yesterday When I Was Mad is another fantastic one from this one, which is, I, I guess, kind of falls into the same, um, I would say, same category as, uh, you know, I wouldn't normally do this kind of thing. Uh, but but then, uh, and and this to me is sort of a says Europe. Is they, they they take another time off, but this is going to begin a phase where for the most part they're taking two to three years off between albums. Maybe they've yeah. realized that we're going to slow down. Maybe they're, they're they're getting overtaken by the lads. That's the other thing that's interesting that's happening. So you have all these people who are Britpop influenced coming up in the '90s at the same time. You've got uh, you know Blur. You've got all of the the the, the hardcore house and club people. You know, everything from Lords of Acid to you know Autica to onwards, and, and and then suddenly they're no longer pathbreakers. They're no they're no longer unique in the field that they used to be singular in. Everyone's figured out their tricks and is doing similar stuff to them. So they take time off, and I have to say, when they come back, they release a B-Sides album. By the way, their B-Sides are great. I mean, that's you can find them alternative. all. Alternative,
1: yeah, it's a great record. Yeah,
2: alternative, you can find all this stuff on the uh, the, sort of the bonus disc editions of their albums. But then they come back with Bilingual, and this to me is sort of the first real disappointment in the Pet Shop Shop Boys discography. I don't like it that much at all. I like a couple of songs on the second half, the slower ones, the more ballad-like ones. But uh, I I, I am single. I am bilingual. No, thank you. I I hate that song, and I just do not like the main tracks on this one.
1: Album where they they <laughs> discovered like an ethnic influence they like, and they're like, what if we did half the album like what, like a Brazilian uh, drum drum music? What if we do that? <laughs> the rhythm Including of the with, Saints, like, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with like Portuguese lyrics that don't actually make sense. No, uh, I don't know what happened here. I don't like it. I feel it feels too trend hoppy
2: to me. But again, who who am I to judge other than the guy who's been doing this show for seven years? What do you guys
0: think? There's a couple of songs I like here, but this is where. Yes, I think there's a real shift here. And I I had mentioned earlier in the show, I was going to make a a comparison. This is where Pet Shop Boys, to me, begin their Foo Fighters era. Ah, that's a nice one. Right? So we we did the Foo Fighters show a while ago. And at some point in Foo Fighters career, you just get to, hey, it's it's a Foo Fighters album. And there's one or two songs that are really, really good. And the rest sound like... Foo Fighters. Fighters. Uh, yeah. and that's what starts here. Now it's a little odd because this is a, a an album that is deep in the Latin rhythms as Dave mentioned. So it does have that twist to it. But by this point it's a Pet Shop Boys album. And there are one or two really good songs. I like I actually like the first song. I like Discoteca. It's different. Um, it it does have this sort of haunting feel to it. And the drums are just massive, the the thundering drums, especially at the end of the track when it flows into that second uh, track that that Jeff hates. Uh, But I I (laughs) like that. And then the other song that I like quite a bit on bilingual is A Red Letter Day, which is about halfway.
2: Yes, that was the one I was listening to. So Red
0: Letter Day has this male choral uh, that, that sings backing vocals, very anthemic. And I could read these lyrics two different ways. W- one is, what's a red letter day? The day that you find love or the day that you find acceptance? Um, and, and coming from their background, I, I tend to think maybe it's the second part. Wh- when so, when you are able to find acceptance in a, in a group of people who, who like you for who you are, no matter what you do. Uh, for all those who don't fit in, who follow their uh, instincts that are told, uh, no, I can't read my writing. Uh, this is a prayer <laughs> for a different way. So, you know, that, that moment when you find sort of peace with who you are and, and who's around you. That's a red letter day. That's a great day. It's That's the best song on bilingual.
3: A stance, a cool fading to
2: I think, I mean, you basically stole my note there, so I don't know. Dave, do you have anything else you want to say before I move on to the weird late 90s version of
1: them when I was actually first coming to Awareness? Yeah, I was in the same zone. I remember uh, discovering this and really liking it because I heard so people talk about it. I think, and this is probably carried through many aspects of my life, like if everyone seems to hate something, I'm, I'll think, <laughs> well, what? Are, they, are
4: they really
1: right about that? Yeah, yeah. No, this is like, um, I mean, Red Letter Day is uh, a gorgeous song. It's it's one of their more pastiche songs, and it's one where right. yeah. I don't feel like the wheels are coming off or anything. That's a, that's a cliche. That's kind of the kind of thing that appears in this. He's like, it's really stacked with, it, first of all, it's the, the main uh, chord sequence is, is basically like a beat Beethoven uh, rip, rip. Uh, yeah. it has the chorus which they used on Go west, which worked for them. Uh, it has like more than the usual like taking a cliche and turning it around I mean uh, hanging the fruits of your labor on the walls. Um, what on earth does a prophet a man is, is, you know he's quoting the Bible um, the red letter, regular day itself is being being a cliche I think he makes what's it waiting for Godot in so much modern time it's like he that's one of those I remember hearing that single. Um, I don't think in isolation, hearing on the record and thinking, "Oh, okay, well they they fooled around, but they figured out what they're good at." Which is, I'm not sure, to be glib here, but but they it's the least experimental and 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 uh, the one that I, I like the most. I th- I have a lot of fun with um, the singles on this record. I mean, actually, so it's weird. It begins with disco discoteca and then and, and bilingual. They combine this for the main release uh, for the single release with a song called The Single Bilingual." Uh-huh. Aha. <laughs> um, which is very funny, and it's one of the funniest. Um, I mentioned the kind of like songs Tenet tenant writes, like the. Um, uh, this, this is one of those invent a character and make fun of him, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Tennant songs, which I think is one of his one of the one of the one of the better versions of that. Just imagining this like pathetic businessman pumping himself up on a trip with all this all this like borrowed Brazilian music. Like as a meta of song, I think it's great. The I think the melody in say a vede is is pretty. I like that drum that drum. Pattern, but then if you listen to like a better song that Barnes these problems, they, they people did it better.
3: Come on, That's the way my fears. That's the way my fears. Why do you want to sit alone in a gothy glue? Surrounded by the ghosts of love that haunts your room. Somewhere there's a different door.
1: Out of your and, come and uh, this is the first uh, record of theirs where there's just songs I don't ever feel like listening to uh, like um I like electricity's always bored me that's like the first Pet up boys like um whatever the, I mean a showstopper is when you know the song's so good, you stand up and applaud like whatever the opposite is like the first one where I was like go to the ah, bathroom I, Am I done with this? Yeah, oh, now I'll skip over it or something. The Survivors I don't love, you know, but um, it always comes surprise. I think this is the the most, like, not phoned in, just the most, uh, because the same era, we kept talking about their B-sides, their alternative versions. They have, like, really great B-sides in this period. They have this song called The Truck Driver and His Mate. This is just all hooks. Um, they they were still writing good stuff. I feel like they just pried enough new things, which makes sense. After, like, a huge high where they did everything right on very... They try to branch out of some stuff they found interesting. I don't think it's as good. I think they lean a bit, a little bit too much cliche. I do think this is this uh, Foo Fighters is, period is is a good name for it. But like they they're entering a period where, um, there are definitely dudes in their 40s who are not hitting the same heights anymore, <laughs> and they're not has because they're so unique. But they're not a band that's like, oh, the Pet Shop Boys single, bet this is going to be a hit. Like they're they're becoming a little bit more of like, oh, that band that's around. Well, let's see what they got going for us now. What's
2: well, interesting to see how bands grow into middle age and sort of remain viable. So, we've done a couple of these in the past few uh, months. So, like, my morning jacket had that early phase, and now they're sort of into their old age. The national similarly has become kind of the perpetual band beloved of like, you know, troubled early uh, 40s, late 30s, like, you know, like middle class drivers. And then you have the pet shop boys, and they're hitting this moment somewhere in the late 90s which is a different kind of be hitting it than everyone else. So you get you get albums like Nightlife. And, and this, to me, I don't know. I mean, I actually think they picked it up quite a bit after this. After this, they're going to find a sort of a groove, a sort of, those I call it sort of the, the you know bucolic post retirement grace. But here here's where they, here's where they struggle with that late nineties sound, and I don't really like very much of anything on nightlife. They they did this weird image change, you know, Dave talked about how they were starting to get oh, more God. natural. And this is the one where they have like the weird spiky punky hair thing. It's like they almost like they're being Daft Punk in a weird way, like in some form of Daft Punk, you know, like Daft Punk were the French uh disco band that would only wear like astronaut helmets and nobody actually knows what they look like underneath. And this is their form of, quote, changing their image. And I don't know. I don't hate the album. I don't think Pet Up Boys ever put out an unlistenable record. But I don't really have a lot of time for anything on this except for one song in particular, which I genuinely adore. Um, But I might leave that until I've heard what anyone else has to say about it.
1: mentioned the. Uh, I, I discovered it like the one I discovered closest to like buying it. I was I was getting into them and I realized they had put out a record a couple months ago in 1999. So I picked it up. Um, didn't I I, I? I was really excited as it began because they. I think they had this. This doesn't. Have, this is a weird time, especially in British pop music. I mean, bilingual comes out as as Brit pop is. As Britain all of a sudden has like very relevant big rock bands. Everybody who who is like a little witty and what the art school is getting signed? Uh, it's much rockier. Um, they cover one of my favorite covers of theirs, actually. I think they only did live is they cover Blur's uh, "Girls and Boys." Girls and Boys, in yeah. This, yeah, I mean, so they realize like they're 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 having fun with this, and this has more. Um, they're grabbing more of like the electronic music that's not necessarily dancing. Some of it. So "Free Your Own Good" is a dance song. "Closer to Heaven" is a dance song. The falsetto. I mean, it starts with with tenant and falsetto, which is. He's never, I mean, we're not making fun of his voice, but he's not a, a singer with a ton of branding. He's not, um, he, he when he's hitting falsetto, you hear him straining for it. Um, they're also, they bring in Kylie Minogue on, on this record for In Denial. One like thing long I, I think- After her peak, right? Uh, well, so that's the thing. Like, she's also an off-peak artist, and she her comeback is like two years later, um, three years later. And if you're in the UK, she's pretty famous, but it's like, in, not, in, like, America, uh, putting... in
2: America, she played uh, Cammy in Street Fighter, uh, the movie. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's, she that's played Cammy. I, I feel like everyone at this point knows, you know, um, I can't get you out of my head, but yes. that hadn't happened. Yeah. She's yeah. just kind of like this 80s pop star like them who uh, has not had uh, not had a big hit in a while. They're also, I mean, Closer to Heaven and in Denial, they end up uh, using those songs for a musical called Closer to Heaven, which I have the soundtrack to, and I like Parts and especially because they they have like a Broadway cast singing their not Broadway West End cast singing their songs with like really rich voices, which is interesting experience. But it just feels like these are never the best albums. when <laughs> here's some songs that we're going to try to turn into musical. Here's some songs that are singles that sound very <laughs> different. Uh, some of them I don't. I, I my favorite and maybe I keep stealing notes, I am not going to guess what your favorite song is. Uh, the one that uh, I kept I kept coming back to because it felt like. Great old Pet Shop Boys was you only tell me you love me you when you're drunk. Yes, which, is which yes. is kind of like a it feels like a spiritual successor to Rent. Um, the same sort of per- yeah. person and a realizing they're kind of lapsed into a into a troubled relationship with a gorgeous melody. And this song, they the um the version of the record's great. It's it's pulsating. I've heard them play this where there's like an acoustic guitar leading leading the song. It's just it's it's one of those where they nail the melody. Blow knows exactly what he's doing. He kinda has a great lyric. What Like, like radiophonic and some of the more sonic experience. It's just like it's they're not they're not that tied to their era, especially later Pet Shop Boys. Just like they really are not tied to anything happening in pop music. They've gone on their own planet. They're still kind of playing around in like what's contemporary '90s late '90s pop. Mm-hmm. Which is just not good. <laughs> like, I don't like. I don't like that era of music. Don't like I
2: don't like the sound. Know. It's it's not worth it. Yeah, but but Dave, you, you know, son of a bitch, that is exactly the one. It's, you only tell me you love me when you're drunk. Which is again, you nailed exactly why, because it does feel like a spiritual sequel to Rent. Which is it? Mm-hmm. it just like you know what? It, it looks like you're picking a fight in the blurring of wrong and right. But how your mood changes. You're a devil now, an angel. Suddenly subtle, solemn, and silent as a monk. You only tell me you love me when you're drunk. Uh, that's a horrible and wonderful and perfectly observed uh, you know depiction of a relationship. It's hard not to wonder if it's personal. I mean, I don't think you, you don't have to ask these people if they're running from life, but man, it feels like it's an argument that he's had with somebody because it's just the, the observational quality of their like the way the moods, the blurring of wrong and right, the way people start you know getting into petty anime, arguments with people and then it's all set to just that very beautiful and elegantly graceful melody and we talk about pet shop boys as being these guys who crank out these these dance floor bangers you know these things but the other you know, the secret the curveball is that they know how to write a beautiful piano ballad and a very graceful ballad uh, with strings and all of the various accoutrements. Um, "You only tell me you love me when you're drunk" is somewhere in that halfway point between them, and it's one of the reasons why it sort of is quintessentially Pet Shop Boys. It, it, it's neither up tempo nor down tempo; it's depressed tempo, mm. <laughs> and that—that's the Neil Tennant <laughs> tempo. That's the way he writes. <laughs> that, that that sort of there's 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 anxiety and ennui riven throughout every single line of that song
3: what's lonely when How you speak with so much feeling is it all always-
0: I agree with both of you about this album. This is the first one where I think what they're doing is somewhat indistinguishable from what other people are doing around this time. This late '90s dance pop, the 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 synths and 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 the uh, sequencers get that sort of deep bass thump that is very much in vogue around this time. And so it sounds it sounds very similar to things that other people are doing here. Uh, it's still solid craft. It is Pet Shop Boys. They know what they're doing, but you don't hear much in the way of innovation or, or anything new. And you don't hear, uh, I think, s- some of the wits and some of the energy that the band always had brought in the past. Um, it just sort of lumbers around in places. A track called Vampires that I think Almost works, and almost gets, sp- gets dragged down by some of that, some of that lumbering, some of that deep bass. Uh, New York City Boy is a very like Village People esque track where they try to bring some of that fun, up tempo uh, ness back, and I'm not sure that works I- incredibly well. You know, it's the end of the, uh, it's the end of the century, uh, quite literally. 1999 is when Nightlife was released and thankfully for them I think Jeff there is a little bit of a leaf turned uh after the 2000s begin.
2: Mhm. I actually do think so as well. I think you know the last album I think again the Pet Shop Boys from this point on are going to settle into what I say sort of predictable acceptability. Every every one of these albums is good. There are some songs mm-hmm. that are genuinely great, but there is a certain—I hate to say this—but there's the the age and the ennui that comes with. There's there's nothing weird like a Radiohead album, even in, later into their career. And I now have to consider them a defunct band. They're always weird and different, and everything was like singularly getting more and more bizarre, kind of like the Talk Talk evolution. These are more on a continuum. They kind of continue to sound the same, but I have to say, I really love Release, which was their uh, that I think really the big comeback of their career, their late period career. It's 2002. This is one I still heard when I was in college. Um, and uh, it, there aren't a lot of big banging grooves here, but then again, they're older and it feels much more appropriate at the turn of the century. I think the first thing that comes along is that Home and Dry is a fantastic opening song to this record. But, and it's so much less cluttered than the sound that you got on Nightlife. Uh, you have songs that were... Written before, could have been written before, but would have been arranged much more busily. And uh, this one, it almost feels like this is where they accept that they're older men now and they don't have to throw everything in. Water. people make quick comments about it is that I think the auto-tuning, and there's definitely auto-tuning on a song here called London, which I do like, <laughs> but, but it makes me realize that Neil Tennant's voice had always sounded like auto tune before the concept <laughs> even existed. Like, auto tune was done to recreate the Pet Shop Boys' dance aesthetic, right? That, that, that weedy voice that isn't quite real, that's just the way he naturally sings, and now when you hear it applied to his actual music, it's bizarre. But I like that song. I love Home and Dry. And I guess maybe the one I, I'd say is my favorite on this. I love the song Email, which is a sweet personal lyric. And it's a beautiful middle eight. But uh, I love the lyric as well, which is, I'm so insecure. But one thing that would make me sure is if you send me an email that says, I love you. This is very middle-aged kind of concerns, <laughs> right? But I can relate to them because I'm also pretty middle-aged myself. This is, I think, their last great record.
0: I actually, this is where I stopped my trek through Pet Shop Boys albums that I know you both have told me, uh, it's a mistake. There's still good things to come. That, that's okay. It's, it's a fire hose for me to try oh, to you know, take it's all the, all the in. world. Yeah. Uh, but this is really good. It's one of the reasons I stopped here is because it's a satisfying place to, to end. Uh, you know, it, it's not, you're not ending on something that's a little less than impressive. Like the last album release is a good album and it comes at one of the more, uh, tumultuous times in their career they went on tour in 99 but the promoter went bankrupt and they you know, halfway through and they nearly split at that point they had a musical that they wrote that flopped in 2001 just before the nine eleven attacks hey hey
2: by the way you know how i knew it was gonna flop scott how's that it was a musical <laughs> <laughs> there you go that's how i know
0: they uh they had written two new songs for a Greatest Hits album and then, then that became bigger. They, they, they liked what they were doing. It became release and um, mm. appropriately so. It is a little more ballad filled, a little more melancholy uh, than some of the past work, but it all works very well. Yes, Home and Dry, very good song. Uh, Love is a Catastrophe is one of the darkest songs written by this band uh, in their entire career. And the one that I would also point to is one of the most unusual tracks in their discography, at least up to this point. That's I Get Along, which is second or third track on the record, where the, it sounds like there's actual instruments being played here. It sounds like mid-tempo. It sounds like a rock song, doesn't right? it? It sounds yeah. like mid-tempo Oasis, in fact, uh, from around this time. And it's a really good song. I really enjoy that song. I got
3: took a long time to track you down Even then you were defiant It's not what you think it is you said And proceeded to deny it So I lost my patience at last And it happened so fast
2: It's a head-snapping moment because all of a sudden you, you don't even realize you're, you're like, wait, what? That that's that kind of song from this kind of band, like, yeah. it almost sinks in, and you're like, they're not supposed to be making this kind of music, and it, they do,
0: they do well. Yeah, and it's really good. There are little, uh, I guess I'd call them little moments of triumph all over release. It is not as good as their imperial period, as we've referenced many times, but it's really good in places and very good for a later era album like this.
1: And yeah, it's, it's it. their most, uh, it's their most mellow album yet i think i kind of i mean i wouldn't say they they do get mellow later they, they they move into a different form i mean uh you introduced the context around this well i would add that it includes the eminem song uh which is a a fun micro trend in 2001 and two and three is that eminem is the biggest star in the world and if you were a gay british pop star you uh, right you you would collect you you were interested in him uh so El- you have elton john duetting with with eminem on uh on stan and then you have the night i fell in love which is clearly just like a a, a little romp about a uh kid meeting eminem backstage and, and and uh falling in love with him and i think Eminem reciprocating so like they i i it is a it is like a you know taking it down a gear a little more laid back uh with still witty lyrics i do love that one two punch of home and dry and i get along that starts the album i think is I remember first opening this. And this is the first one where I said, "Oh my God, this band I'm into has a new record. I'm going to buy it immediately." Uh, I remember listening to those two back to back and thinking, "This has the potential to be the, the best thing they've done." And then I wasn't ready for it to move into that lower gear. I, I appreciate it a bit more now. I, I don't think anything here is bad, um, but it is a laid back, you know, sitting in um, sitting in a, a sitting room, not going to a club album. I mean, they 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 go back to the club a few times, um, but. I mean, this is the last album I think they released in their 40s they're getting, they're getting older they're getting more introspective, they're getting a little I mean they're always acerbic about pop culture but um, that I remember reading coverage, the last time I was like Pet Shop Boys were in the news was, was, was for the audacity of making that song about Eminem And he was passionate
3: I guess I would Rate Him on 9 out of 10
2: for uh, doing the soundtrack to the battleship Potemkin because this again begins another weird long fallow period for the Pet Shop Boys another four years off in the meantime they're doing weird mm-hmm. stuff like doing soundtracks for Sergei Eisenstein films which yeah. I, by the way I, uh, I won't lie I'm a fan of Eisenstein's because I'm a Russian history major and a film guy I, I actually watched it to this I don't like the soundtrack to be honest it, it didn't
1: work mm. <laughs> not in my opinion I don't know if you ever tried to sync it up did you No, that's a a fun... I should try now that I know... Now I know it's not... It doesn't work. I'm not not sure, but I should try.
2: Well, I I mean, maybe maybe, uh, I was used to my old orchestral score because, you know, I'm old-fashioned and conservative like that. But that brings us... But basically, the next year is 2006, and we are basically at this point into what I call the old man period of Pet Shop Boys. This is an album where, and I think most of the ones from here, here on out, where I can sing one or two songs I really do like. And there are there's one song on Fundamental I truly love, and I think it's hilarious, and it's also brilliant. But there's also one song that just that to me uh, explains by its songwriting credit alone everything that's gotten wrong uh uh, there's a song here called numb it's a single and guess who it's written by not by neil Tennant and chris lowe it's written by diane warren hey scott did you ever get around to listening to the diane warren pet shop boys song
0: i did not
2: oh you might want to just just for the just for the experience it's not good just so you know because you know why (laughs) diane warren is not good in my opinion do you know what's really great? I love the song Casanova and Hell. I think it's one of the funniest and most beautifully mm-hmm. written little melodies that, that Chris Lowe, I think, was responsible for in this case, he ever came up with. And uh, it's just, to me, that's that we're getting to the point in their career where, like, and they're never going to embarrass themselves, but there's like one or two songs that I like really.
1: yeah (laughs) i mean this one uh the the big news of the time was they were back with trevor horn so they it it is this fascinating combination of a sound that they've done before the trevor horn sound he does pull i think good stuff out of them minimal is a great single um but it's also much more political than they've been they've been political in ways the whole the whole career but oh, you have both, uh, I think what you're talking, I'm guessing you're talking about I'm With Stupid is, is the song you like, or maybe maybe I'm wrong. No,
2: no, no, uh, is a song I hate because it's written by Diane Warren. The song that I absolutely love is Kansanova and Hell.
1: I'm With Stupid oh, okay. is fine. I'm With Stupid is, is clearly, it's a love, It's a song from the perspective of Tony Blair thinking about George W. Bush. which Right, is, exactly. Like- <laughs> I, mean, I, don't mind, I don't mind that. I mean, whatever. It's, which, just, like a, it's <laughs> just politics, you know. Song, songs yeah, not then, that great, though. That's the problem. It has, it starts, that's the thing. They, they, they has that Trevor or damp, damp. It starts with that great 80s hook and a great riff, and then it doesn't really do a whole lot. Uh, inter, integral, same thing. It has, has a good idea. It's, it's about, um, the British version of the, um, it was British. It was like a national ID card thing that Labor was doing that had lots of protests. Like, how dare you make us all. National ID card. So it's a very temp- it, it it's a it's a weird album because they both know they're using the she's talking, she's talking like, about a controversy and,
2: that nobody cares about anymore. No one cares I anymore.
1: Think. I mean yeah, the, it it is both it's dated in two different ways. That they're referring lyrically to stuff that nobody cares about and the music is a throwback to what what was clicking for them uh 15 years earlier. So it's uh it was seen at the time as a comeback because of the Trevor Horn connection because those singles actually I mean Hey, I'm with stupid. You wrote a song about George W. Bush in 2006. Like you're going to get some attention. Um, I don't think. I think it's aged worse than some of these other albums that uh, that are better mm-hmm. older than it. Frankly, for those reasons.
2: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. And then you know what? Here's the thing: we could do a three-hour episode, but who would want to listen to us discussing in incredible detail the last five albums of the Pet Shop Boys' crew, of which Scott, I believe, has listened to zero out of five. Is that correct, Scott?
0: That is correct. That is correct. That's a
2: shame because there are some good songs on these. But yes, well, I guess we'd have to start with yes. Uh, And then Elysium, Electric, Super, and Hotspot, which takes us up to 2020. Presumably, you know, it's 2023. They're due. (laughs) Another one might come out sometime this year for all
0: we know. I don't know if they've tipped one. They just released another singles collection, Uh, which is called Smash hits
2: and that that's a, that's a sign that usually is a sign that that something's a brewing they they do that uh, in my experience right before they're about to make a move on some sort so for all we know there's another pet shop boys album i don't know how much we should care though and that's it's not like i'm trying to be mean or cruel here i think you're basically if somebody were to throw one of these new albums on you never object because hey you put you know you put a machine on you get a solid beat, and you get in professionals who know how to put together really, really solid melodies. You're never going to be disappointed. There's just – I've gone back in the – and i actually forced myself to listen to much of these and decided after doing it that I didn't really have as much to say about them as anything I did before this point in their career. I'll say this one thing. is that on Yes, the 2009 album, which is a it's called Yes – giant kind of check mark on the cover uh which means like you know I'm kind of running out of like interesting guys I love <laughs> I absolutely love the song beautiful people um which I think is maybe an all-time classic for the band it's like one of the later ones that they came in with out of nowhere it's at that dark thundering orchestral opening it, 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 subtle chord changes the chord changes in that thing shift mid-chorus perceptively which I always like about it and then the lyricist is just so strangely dissipated and sad I want to live like the beautiful people hollow media fantasies about wanting to sort of you know abstract yourself out into a media world that you only touch at arm's length that's what I've always interpreted that song to be that was one that I heard like long ago long after I you know remember you know you know I'm not paying attention to Pet Shop Boys new songs at that point but that one broke through to me and I still love it to this day is
3: it only or could it be reality?
2: I just don't have a lot to say about these last few albums, other than the fact that I don't think anyone will offend you, and I hope no one's angry that we don't have enough to say.
1: I, I, I do when it, when they have put it, put it on, I'm always impressed by a few things. I don't, I, and I've revisited some of them more than others. Uh, yes, I loved, I actually, I mean, it has some of their funniest, you know, melody interpolations like all yes. over the world, basically bars and the nutcracker. <laughs> um, Pandemonium borrows the Doctor Who theme, which I thought was very, was very funny as soon as I heard it. Like you know, it, it borrows that the classic you know BBC radio. Yeah, exactly. Thing the same the, the same
2: thing that they did use on Interstellar Overdrive too, right? Right. Yeah. yeah
1: but that. then it's got some stuff like, do I need to hear you know all over the world again? Probably. Like if that's the Nutcracker song. Eh, I don't. I don't need to. I think no. they 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 wane. Um, Elysium is the only Pet Shop Boys album I just really never feel the need to listen to. It has uh, it, it's interesting mostly because it has "Winner," the song they wrote for the uh, for the London Olympics. Um, so that, that's a I, the London Olympics were fun because you're like, oh, I guess it has been a uh, long enough since the last Olympics in London that all the pop music happened. So they got to be part one of the many, many, many bands at the London Olympic ceremonies showing off a new song under hits. I think Electric uh, is the last their last comeback album where I think they. Uh, and maybe we'll able to talk the end, the end, but the last one where I love every song, I I think they feel reinvigorated. Um, the the culture has moved. Well, what do you think of the Bruce Springsteen both, yeah. song?
2: What do you think of the last to
1: die? I have to ask. I, it is. I I don't, do I do I hit it on uh, repeat on it No, yes. I think it's it's a great melody. I. I, that's one where I can go three years without listening to it and then look at the title and the whole song is in my head. I give
2: credit for it. I mean, this is what I mean. Yeah. When I say you never never have to count them out because of a wacky cover. Bruce Springsteen, Pet Shop Boys, that song, it's like a really obscure one off of Magic.
3: We took the highway till the road went black. We might trip our consequences on our men. A voice drifted up from the radio Some other voice from long ago Who'll be the last to die for a mistake? The last to die for a mistake Whose blood will spill, whose hearts will break? Who'll be the last to die for a mistake? Sleep
4: in the
1: back yeah, It's re- it's a good really, after, after that all I'd say is like super and hot spot, I like them, but this is where they sound they sound like somebody like themselves and also like Will Al Yankovic making fun of the pet trap boys. <laughs> mm, um, yeah. like Burn the song Burn, I like it a lot, but it's also these you know guys at this point like early sixties, late fifties, yeah, we're gonna burn, burn this disco this down to the morning comes. Like, sure you are, guys. Sure, I'm I'm sure you guys are partying as late as possible. But they, yeah, they still have the great songs poppers. every record. But yeah. yeah, they don't feel as as essential anymore, but they're just not bad. Like, they can write a bad song. It's it's in their. It's they, they, if they try, then they can. Um, I think Monkey Business from uh, the single from Hot, the Hotspot is very silly. Same thing, where it's like Neil, Neil Tennant, like the the video for it. They're like sitting in a club as other people are dancing, and you have Neil, Neil Tennant being like, "Give me margaritas and red wine." Like, come on, Neil. Like, I I do think the clubby stuff at this point, I just don't think it makes sense for them the way that you know. I saw the Who recently, and when I see the Who sing "My Generation." In the year 2022 i i just i don't know how to feel about it um does but they're he, very
2: does good does does, yeah. does does he does he actually go through with the hope i die before i get old line i mean i don't even oh. understand uh, how do they yeah. do it right? i mean this gets yeah. exactly what, what i say about like something There's weird about the pet shop boys aesthetic because there's something of a youth thing going on there and so when you know neil Tennant and chris lowe kind of get older and a little fatter and paler and like you know graying around the and balding and all that and, like yeah, you're not going to be burning this club down. You're not burning this disco out, Michael Jackson style, are you? I don't think so. And yeah, that that's what makes those sorts of moves superfluous, which is why the mellower they get, I guess, the more kind of in tune with their, their mm-hmm. zeitgeist they become. But of course, the less interesting they are, inevitably, in my opinion. Right. Mm
4: hmm.
2: No, now Scott, I know you don't have any final thoughts on on this on this period. But uh, Dave, I think uh, before we go, before we wrap this up, I just want to say like like what do we think about like how the Pet Shop Boys are, are going to continue onwards? Cuz I I say I think I agree completely with you. These albums are not bad and that's why I like, I just want to emphasize like guys it's like this is not crap, but it's like <laughs> I guess when there's a period of such exciting, like, uh, shocking disruption in music, and, like, the Pet Shop Boys created a different aesthetic. They created a different mm-hmm. sound in music in, in, in the mid-'80s, and it it's an actual thing. Them, they worked with New Order on the side. They were, they, those guys were just plowing a new furrow that ended up becoming the sound of club music, dance music, pop music, uh, and many different, genres for decades even to this day in some ways still deeply influenced by it so i don't really hold anything against them that they're not still making the most relevant and exciting music of all time they've settled into acceptability and i think that's that i'm happy to keep them there and i don't mind if they continue releasing records how do you feel yeah i feel
1: like it's too bad that um none of the attempts to run a musical like really took off because yeah. they they're they uh, do I still? I mean, they've never been. they never danced around live shows. Literally, just Neil Tennant walks around and Chris Lowe stands there, so they can do that forever. Um, but I don't, I don't think they're, they'd have like much left to say in the. I mean, like the, the 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 rock star context that they started in that is like that's just not a thing anymore. Dead, uh, they put yeah. out they put out most recently. Uh, the, if you don't have the EPs. This soundtrack to like My Beautiful Laundrette, the which is great. Like they're very good. At, we're at. At here is a theme. They can write witty lyrics off off of the story. They can write great melodies. Uh, I feel like I don't. I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> um, next. Uh, even music musicals. I feel like I, I. I don't know enough about them to say that the relative health of that versus rock stardom. Uh, but they're just they're good songwriters. Who, uh, and and, and Tennant is. I mean, like when he's written lyrics for other people, when they've heard somebody else sing them. It's great. Like Rufus Rainwright does a sings Casanova to Hell, one of their lives records. Uh, he adds a lot to it. His voice is thin, but richer than Tenants. I'd love to just see them keep writing good stuff for other people. I'm less of a fan. They had a song called Like On Social Media a couple years ago, which I thought I wouldn't say it was their new deer, but that's one of the Pet Shop Boys songs I saw. were like, guys, I don't need to hear you comment on, on events anymore. Just write really good songs. Find a way to write a bunch of great songs every couple years. I'm not sure if I need you to do like a new I try to do a new pop-it. I'm not sure if it's ever gonna
2: happen again. I'm a pretty detail oriented guy, Dave. I do my research for my shows and I have to say I am grateful that I have not heard on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I am very Oh grateful. yeah. But you know, hey, whatever. No need to no need to end on a sad note. Scott, you wanna bring us home?
0: Indeed. This uh we get to the point of the program where we give you the two albums you should own from Pet Shop Boys, the five songs you really need to hear. Turn to our guest first, who takes the floor, Dave Weigel from Semaphore. Writes the Americana newsletter there. Find him on Twitter at Dave Weigel. Uh, your two albums, your five songs, please.
1: Yeah, I would say Very, which I praised up and down. And actually, Electric is my dark horse pick. Uh, hmm. I, th- I That is a late record that is, at this point, 10 years old. Um, but I, I like every song on it. Uh I, I it starts with axis, it ends with vocal, it ends with just I, I feel like it's the last record we're sequencing wise, the the, the peaks and valleys that it goes into on purpose, it's terrific. I, I at least like every uh, every song on it. I mean and if I I'm not trying to um Get too math- mathematical with like, is this a ninety eight percent song or ninety six? Uh, but it's great. I think that's that's one v- very I would pass on to somebody who you know introduced this band. They might have only hear one or two singles of Electric. Twenty years later, I feel like is their last really great statement. Really, and they it, it came out of a uh uh they were I think I think re energized because Elysium was, was was bland. They were stuck in a record deal. Electric, they break out on their own. Great record. Um, my song. I should do the five songs now, right? Like the five yes. songs too. Yep. Yes. Yes. Um, those are. i Those are a little more. As I really tried to judge them, like weighted more in their early career. I would say, uh, "Rent." I really do love "Jealousy." Um, of all of their ballads, I feel like that's the most powerful. I never get tired of it. Uh, I like. I wouldn't normally do this sort of thing. Uh, a red letter day, and from Electric, "Love Is a Bourgeois Construct" is is my the last truly. Neil Tennant just writing all his references and creating a, a goofy little George Eliot character to make fun of. Uh, love that the Title on so, down, yeah. Five. yeah.
0: Uh All right. Um, my two albums. I mentioned earlier on the show to uh, buffer buttress Dave's point that very is the album you might give someone who perhaps only knows West End Girls. So if you're going to only have two albums, I think that's got to be on the list. And for the other choice, uh, very nearly Behavior, which I like an awful lot, but... Then I'd probably tell you to grab the album that has perhaps their greatest songs, a couple of their greatest songs. It's Actually, which is also a great album, too. So Very, Actually, the two albums. In terms of songs, uh, most people probably have heard it, but I'm still going to make room for it on the list. What Have I Done to, to Deserve This is a is a just really outstanding pop song. I echo Dave. I'll say Rent. Uh, I think Being Boring is on this list of five Pet Shop Boys songs you should hear. Can You Forgive Her? Uh, From Very. And I will take, uh, I think, Only the Wind as well on this list of five. Jeff, over to you.
2: Ah, I've been agonizing about this all the way down to the end. And in fact, I don't even know if I have a final list because it's so hard to choose. I think what I've decided to do is go with two albums and then five songs that are not from those albums. So the two albums, I'm going to say I already flagged it uh, pretty clearly is introspective, which I just love as that great dance, pop, mood, groove. And then I guess very you know, which just got already mentioned. As for the albums, I'm going to try to mention things that aren't on those records. So, obviously, from the early years, one for me to Suburbia is my favorite song on Please and it always is going to be because it's just got an irresistible melody. Uh, Rent, similarly, uh, on, on actually is a heartbreakingly sad ballad about well I don't know about feeling like you're a puppet in a relationship and that you're really not engaged in anything that that's going to last very long uh, I'm going to have to make a, a shout out for uh, just at least one of the covers you know I, I would have mentioned always on my mind but it's on introspective so instead I'm going to mention where the streets have no name after they trash <laughs> Bono they, they cover Bono and they actually do justice to Bono because man it's just a really it's it, it's a great mashup along the lines of negative land I don't know if anybody knows about it, this semi-obscure late 80s early 90s mashup kind of group that that would, that would do parodies of like you know like various pop culture things and they they put U two and Pepsi into something it was a long time ago but this is <laughs> this is the Pet Shop Boys version of it Uh and I think Young Offender is is the one that I would pick if I had to pick one song from Very just specific because Dave said he didn't like it I think it's the best damn song on the album. I'm going to pick one from their last, from their later one, and I'd say from release, I think Email is one of the most beautiful songs of, of uh, Pet Shop Boys' career. I think you can find a lot of other ones greater uh, that are actually just as good later on, but I think Email is kind of uh, captures what I would characterize as the sort of later aesthetic, the more mellow aesthetic of their career. The old man, uh, chill groove thing. It's a beautifully written ballad, sweet and personal, and I do like it, and it kind of represents, if you like that, you're probably going to like most of the later or Pet Shop Boys albums, even after they became old men, you know, standing around on stage <laughs> and singing, you know, with graying hair.
0: Beats look at the music and career of Pet Shop Boys. We thank our guest on today's program, Dave Weigel, founding reporter at Semaphore, covering the 2024 campaign, writing the Americana newsletter. Keep up with him on Twitter at Dave Weigel. Dave, thanks so much for joining us once again.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for including me.
0: Uh, Jeff, we enter the summer, and I, I don't know if you saw my message the other day. But I have found a guest for our Huey Lewis and the News episode you have promised to do. So I just want just to throw that out there as we... Oh, how wonderful.
2: Today. What a wonderful 4th of July gift you've, you've I, given me.
0: Thank I, you. I thought so, too. <laughs> at Esoteric CD is where to find Jeff on Twitter. Uh, I'm there, at Scott Bertram. Don't forget, Patreon.com slash Political Support us, help the show stay ad-free, entry-level, mid-level, and our upper-level best friends all the information at patreon.com slash political beats you can subscribe to the feed for new episodes as well and where you find your audio or at nationalreview.com we're on facebook also on twitter at political underscore beats to join the conversation this has been a presentation of national review this is political beats